forever. Dog. Warning, the following podcast contains a limited use sword, lazy toy name creation, a confusing circus, and an arena show that's 5% action and 95% religious service. Griffin Newman returns to talk the Masters of the Universe Power Tour on today's podcast, The Ride. Welcome to our universe podcast, The Ride Universe. It's podcast, The Ride, everybody. I'm Scott Gardner, uh, joined uh, back in the Zoom verse by Jason Sheridan. That's right. Thank you. I like that little ditty. Oh yeah. Well, we're gonna get into that. I mean, why not yeah. just get that off? Right. You know, the audience might not know that song yet, but you will, and you'll love it. It'll rise to the top of your personal charts. Mike Carlson, hello. Uh, hi, I'm here. Yes, I was watching what uh, our topic today, and I was thinking we need actually some sort of pledge of allegiance to our podcast that we need to develop. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to do it right now because we have a lot to get to, but I just want to put that in the air that we need to figure something out to make sure that all the Cliffords out there pledge their allegiance to us. We need to do that. So anyway. Not enough nationalism in comedy podcast. Podcast <laughs> nationalism. Is, is that the name for it? Is just it, proud. I'm just proud, you know. No podcast. I'm just proud. Podcastalism is that? Is that? No, that's not good. Does this imply that they can only listen to our podcast, or that they just have to like always listen to it? Like that's unfair to say. Uh, Depends. It. I don't know. It depends how we write the song. Honestly, it's Mm -hmm. how we write the pledge. Sorry. Well, it also just that if you can only listen to our podcast, then that cuts out people like our guest mm-hmm. with their own podcasts that's uh, true. and i would hate to because because look we're everybody's supposed to get along unless we start getting more militaristic hey, cho- about this choose a side could. i say <laughs> come on okay but until the anthem is in place then yeah, you yeah. are uh, welcome to podcast hop you could listen to uh, blank check uh, a great podcast that our, our guest today comes from um but mainly well here let me say this the, the today's topic is the Masters of the Universe Power Tour, which was the live touring uh, theatrical spectacle uh, that's that supported uh, He-Man and She-Ra in 1987, uh, is sort of their uh, coming out of our shells tour, which is how our guest today presented it. And our guest is the voice of Orko on the new series, Masters of the Universe Revelation, which premieres on Netflix today. As you are listening to this, it it is uh, accidental PTR legend Griffin Newman. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Um, uh, accidental PTR legend, still my greatest credit. I, I always ask to be introduced that way on other podcasts, and they uh, refuse. I do want to say right off the bat, uh, Scott, we've been we've been emailing back and forth for um, some months now. Yeah, yeah, um, took all, yeah, yeah, some some delays. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had some correspondence with uh, with Jason and Mike over the pandemic as well for different subjects or different issues. Mm-hmm. What was the thing, Jason, that you were asking me to weigh in on in real time during a recording? Oh, oh, um, it, oh, it was Shrek, Shrek, Shrek yeah, shaped pudding. fun nuggets yeah. with the, swamp right, pudding. Right, right. It was the Shrek uh, uh, fucking meal, uh, which is revolting. <laughs> and then uh, Mike and I, of course, uh, messaged back and forth about our struggles to successfully pre-order action figures, mm. but also <laughs> looking into the numbers of how much 
it would cost for us to produce a run of toys based on our respective podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're in that game as well. Oh, oh my God. I, I mean, Mike's doing the heavy lifting, but I'm constantly sort of trying to compare notes with him. Yeah. I think it's doable. I do think it's doable. And uh, probably next year, I think maybe we could shoot for. Some I, I, ha- yeah. I have a thought, a, a possible lead that I want to bring up with you after we're mm-hmm. finished recording. So I'll okay, just I'll sure. leave that dangling thread here. But okay. but Scott, you and I have messaged back and forth mostly about what matters. Podcast the ride, the most important thing in the Thank world. You. Now that's, Thank you for so that's a pledge pledging to us. Yes. yes. And I don't remember if you emailed about something else or I emailed first because of this. But the chain quickly became me sort of saying, "Look, I really feel like." I let down Podcast the Ride listeners in 2020. And I know it was a hard year. I know it was a hard year for all of us. I know why I I was not up to the challenge. You know, I went through my struggles and what have you. Well, I don't know. But you're on the show. You were on the show behind the paywall. Is that what feels weird? That's what feels weird to me. Because there was that thing where, where the listeners did their vote on best episode and best this and best that. And I got voted best guest. And I only did one episode. I only did one appearance. Whereas the previous year, I did three appearances in one year. I only did one appearance in 2020. And it was a paywall only. I know it was a long episode. I know it broke the record and made Jason break out into flop sweat. But... I remember it, my yeah. I needed to urinate so badly. We I mean, we might have to plan on a break in this one. Absolutely, we'll we have to be smarter this time. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like I didn't do enough and and i would see certain episodes and topics come up and go maybe i should have thrown my hat in the ring for that maybe i should be suggesting more maybe i should this maybe i should that i felt bad about it. so i reached out to you and i said i want to put three things on the book i want to yeah. commit to coming back 2021 main feed and second gate with a vengeance and the first one i i don't know if we want to spoil stuff but there was a ride that had been talked about derisively on the show and you guys had said, we'll probably never do an episode on that. And I emailed you and I said, I would like to do that episode. Can we put that on the books? Mm-hmm. The second thing, which I do want to announce here. Yes. I said, Muppet Haunted Mansion, that's mine. Very mm. good. Okay. People are going to be really happy about that. Yeah, I feel like I need to tease that. The ride we yeah. can keep secret for now. Wait, dude, it's a ride talked about derisively? I Is it? Not to me. And I, I don't think I would. Have, been, did we or did others? I've been listening to the show on on a, a big delay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the pandemic, I got way behind on all my podcasts. Yeah, no and so I've been that. To, I feel like also to you, Scott, I've been that annoying fan who like emails you about things you said nine months ago that you no longer remember. <laughs> uh, I made a joke about how are your two sons doing? And you said, I only have one son. And I said, what do you mean? Eight months ago, you made a joke about Rex being your first son. How could you not immediately recall that? Yeah, I, well, I thought I it was a reference two hours ago. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was it was phrased such that it was like a uh, that he's like not a baby anymore. That somehow so much time has flown. I was like, okay, that must be what it is. Yeah, I think yeah we have dropped the Rex as my son thread Look, pretty I, thoroughly. I didn't um, land the joke, and this is what I'm talking about. I've been letting mm. everyone down as a podcast <laughs> the ride legend. The emails have been sloppy. Too few appearances. No bathroom breaks in the Fallon episode. These are all <laughs> problems that I want to rectify. But Jeez. in an episode I was listening to, I think that is what caused me to email you in the first place. You guys were like, we'll probably never do an episode on that. You kind of shrugged at this ride and said, like, we never have to do an episode on that. 
Wait a minute. Are we talking about the right thing? I'm I confused. Like we, By the way, I'm confused. Yeah. Wait, can we just say can what it is and then it? cut it? Michael say what it is. It? Yeah, yeah, we will bleep say it. Say what it is. Wait. Oh, oh of course we would do an episode. What do you mean? Of, uh, wait, 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 you have I, a Zoom background that's fighting. It's getting blurred. It's getting oh, blurred no. out. Oh, it's no. still a secret. Oh, I'm wait. trying to, in the Zoom background, it's... We all, that's, that's the thing we all think we're talking about. Yeah, I, of course we yeah, would do an episode confused. on that. What are you that? talking yeah. about? When did we and who, say wait, that? who was derisive on it? I'm was it one of us? I'm telling you there's an episode where the three of you say we never have to do an episode No, on it no, can't be. Impossible. That's gotta be I'm going to ask the listeners there. to go back and find it, but that's what motivated me to send the email in the first were place. Were you watching a different, were you listening to a different podcast? Were you listening to Jim and Len and like Len said the that ride sucks? The bumper car boys? <laughs> yeah, they'd hate that, right? Bumper car boys would hate it, yeah. I'm just telling you, I just know that's why I sent the email because I was like concerned about You're us. You're sort of like, maybe we don't maybe we don't ever do an episode on it. Is it not necessary? I That's can't, wild. I truly I cannot recall. Imagine. Was it a bit? Were we being, uh, was our look, bit not It was clear. the pandemic. We were all losing our minds. The we point all, is Yeah, I can't but now yeah. it's pandemic two, and we feel so much better because we've had practice. We're old pros at this. At this <laughs> yeah. point. We know how to mm-hmm. handle it. Um, but yes, but then uh, things uh, shifted around. I was having health problems. You had a job, Scott. And I said, like, the third thing I'd like to do is when the He-Man show is coming out, do you guys know that there was a He-Man equivalent coming out of our Shells tour? And it feels like it's right in your guys' wheelhouse. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you guys, uh, Mike and Jason, tell me your thoughts on this. I, uh, I had never heard of this. I didn't know this existed. You brought a totally new thing, at least to my attention. I, I I I may have found out about it like a month before we put this on the books. I was not. This is not something I've lived with for very long. I, I feel like some account that we probably both follow, Mike, one random day started tweeting out a bunch of photos from like the the playbill. Like the mm, big yeah. full color photos of the costumes. Like I remember they were circulating around Twitter around the time yes. I messaged Scott, which had sort of activated my mind. Like, oh, this this might be a PTR subject. Yeah. Do you think it was one of our yeah. toy accounts, one of our toy Twitter accounts? I think it was. I think it was a Preternia or something Preternia, like that. Preternia, Toy Bro, uh, I Pixel was Dan. Say, Pixel Dan, did he tweet about it? <laughs> I, I, look, Who could I it think have been? Pixel Dan might have retweeted it, but I think if Pixel Dan was the one uploading the photos, I would have remembered. And I don't okay. say that as any slight to Preternia or Toy Bro, but I think of Pixel Dan as the preeminent sort of like... Uh, Motu Obscura scholar, you know. Yes, I agree. wasn't po- It wasn't posable Pete. <laughs> posable Scott, Pete. <laughs> yeah, Scott, it was probably posable Pete. Scott, that is not funny. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. not funny. Right. That is not. Toy, toy, I know, toy on, when it's regular, when it's theme park stuff, I could do it. This I gotta. I gotta. Shardimus no one I'm not wanted would be very upset to hear you just wantonly <laughs> making up fake toy YouTuber names. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mike just muted his Zoom window and threw a folding chair like Bobby Knight. <laughs> <laughs> How do so I do I a get, podcast with I, this guy? I don't get that. Re- <laughs> I don't get that reference, Jason. <laughs> I, is, I did I get the name wrong? The coach. No, no, I did. Wrong? I'm just oh, saying okay. I'm a toy guy. I don't oh, know you're sports. You're a toy guy. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. I don't know college I, sports. Yeah, I think I saw. Yeah, something like what you guys are saying. Like it was tweeted or like a He-Man collage of stuff of like different like oh remember He-Man like a nostalgia account and like showed a quick flash of like this show. My my He-Man 
I was very into E-Man as I was learning object permanence. Like, I caught the tail end <laughs> in the late 80s. I caught the tail end. My real passion for He-Man, I believe, was the um, reboot that was called uh, The New Adventures of He-Man, which was noticeable because yes. he wolf wore full pants. And I had this toy sword, which was great. Like, I just I, can I can I read Jason your notes? <laughs> yeah. You just screen shared your notes so you could show yeah, the yeah. picture of the sword you had, and your notes were are nineteen ninety show. It was awesome. This was the one where He Man wore pants. Yes, <laughs> and then just a plastic sword on the ground. Yeah, and I specifically said, owned the I specifically sword. Owned I specifically owned this sword. sword. Oh my god, I Jason, went looking for it. I didn't yeah. share it. It wasn't a co-op thing. Could we publish your notes for Patreon subscribers? <laughs> no, but they're all. They're all like me writing out thoughts I've had. Like it's 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 yeah, what? really? Yeah. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> yeah, the formatting is funny. Uh, the formatting yeah. is insane because sometimes they use dashes, sometimes they use nothing, sometimes they use the Apple Notes bubble. <laughs> I have like five gigabytes in Apple Notes of just w w mostly notes for the show will you well, allow me to have access to those and pick out the ones i think that are the best absolutely not no <laughs> these have to be they have to be public record we owe the people are given the pledge and at this yeah. point they owe they should be able to peruse the jason sheridan library i agree for the right price for the right, well, for the right price. price. Well, now we're talking. <laughs> we will. We will certainly be digging into this because this is the interesting context to the show. Is that like, I, I think this show was sort of supposed to be a victory lap for them. Uh, timed out around the same time as the movie, which they thought was going to be this big brand rejuvenator. And then this show ended up being like a death rattle. Like this was the last <laughs> successful thing to come out of He-Man. And it was very successful at a time that the rest of the brand was like plummeting. Like sales were down, the movie bombed. And then the new adventures of He-Man was their hail Mary pass. They were going to do yeah. a show called Hero that was going to be... Uh, like a prequel show about He-Man's ancestor and like an earlier person who had held the power. Uh, and then there was an alternate pitch at one point where Hero was going to be He-Man's son, but the the first Hero show was going to be set in pre-Eternia, so there were going to be dinosaurs in it, and that was their big business like thing was like, this is how we're going to save He-Man, we're going to put dinosaurs in the toy line. Now it's new characters, so the kids have to rebuy all the heroes and villains, and they're all riding dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs are going to be huge and expensive. And I think they were trying to sort of get in on, like, the G.I. Joe vehicle playset money uh, of just, like, constant huge dinosaur toys. Um, but then New Adventures was, like, the, like, fuck, this is plummeting so fast, we need to do, like, a huge pivot, go steer totally out of, the like, the barbarian... Uh, swords and, and castles shit and go into space and yeah. just fight fucking Star Wars. But they were fighting Star Wars like 10 years too late. Mm -hmm. And that show was a huge flop, except as I know, because I've spent the pandemic watching too many videos by former Masters of the Universe brand manager at Mattel, Scott Knightlick, and his new channel. <laughs> oh that God. sword was like the best selling thing Mattel produced that year. And the rest of the line bombed. Like, Everyone bought that fucking sword. No one watched the cartoon show. Specifically, specifically that sword? The one that Jason showed the picture of. That sword was like a huge seller specifically. And then no every, one watched the show. No one bought the figures. Every kid I knew had that. Yeah, had that sword. I played with it so much. And it was pretty solidly made. Except the blade, 
because eventually the blade just snapped off, and then I just had a handle with a tiny light bulb sticking out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was made I great, somehow, except for the sword part. <laughs> I somehow never managed to break that tiny light bulb. It's hey. a miracle. Wow. It's a like a Hanukkah miracle. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's fascinating. There's that Netflix documentary I watched recently, The Power of Grey Skull, that yes. has a lot of that history in it. And it is fascinating. Maybe I even talked about it on one of the episodes we've done recently um, about just watching a bunch of guys go, I, I don't know, it's a skull and uh, there you, I want to call it whatever you want. Gray skull? Okay, great. Like, it, nobody gave a shit about it, but then they were all trying to strategically just figure out how to keep this thing going. And yes, they were get there were like there were some toy people that were like, we weren't even that creative. We, we threw it to somebody else and then they gave us a better idea. There's a guy who was really like down on all his ideas from that worked at, on the toy line initially. I forget his name in the documentary. There there is uh, that documentary is worth watching on Netflix. There's also the Toys That Made Us episode about Master of the Universe. That's a really good kind of more condensed version of it. But, uh, like, I, I am a huge Masters of the Universe fan. Like, it, it, it sort of is to me what I, I would argue maybe what Ninja Turtles is to you. And similarly, mm -hmm. in lockdown, my collection has gotten out of control. It just became my uh, large overarching obsession. But I, like, actively, actively uh, sought out and fought to play Orko on this show, perhaps more than any other job in my entire career like i was just like very single-mindedly focused on like i love he-man there's a new show i want to be part of it orko's the character i want to play partially because i feel like orko's very divisive and people either like love him and they were like that was my favorite fucking character when i was a kid i dressed up as orko orko was the funniest i rooted for him or people like hate orko he's like 50 percent jar jar 50% mm. Chewbacca like there's like <laughs> no middle ground um, and I I just felt like there are a lot of easy ways that someone could, could sort of sell Orko up the river you know yeah. that you could kind of like make him into a joke uh, whereas he is the comic relief character and he should be like silly and fun I didn't want it to be like a, a like scrappy do thing you know, right. like in the sure. in the Scooby-Doo movie where you have to sort of like reframe him as like, oh, well, we all hate him. Um, and I also um, got bummed out at the idea of some famous person just doing it because they were offered it. And like, oh, sure. Not and not knowing caring. it or, or just doing right. it as themselves and not like making a new Orko as a, right. in an actorly way. And he's got a very fucking specific voice, which I'll. I'll get into i maybe not here but uh i i was like very protective of all this shit in my mind as a fan i was like i really want to be the one to do it and i was working like 18 different angles to get cast on this show like i wow. had like friends God. in the writer's room i found out the netflix executive had an instagram account that was just action figure photography so oh, i started wow. like <laughs> following him and liking his uh, posts until he followed me back. And then I like slid to DMS and then was oh, like, wow. I'm going to be in LA. I'd love to have like a general meeting. And then just sort of talked about how big a fan I was of Motu and then ended by being like, by the way, I just sent in a tape for Orko, but like just wanted to prove to him my wow. bona fides sure. that I was like, I fucking know this shit. I like far too well. Um, so I, I really I really worked really uh, aggressively for it and uh, have been working on the show for like 
uh, a year and a half now, and now oh, it's geez. finally about to come out. Animation is just like so uh, such a long drawn out process. Right. But needless to say, I. Uh, my first record was like right before the pandemic. It was maybe like end of February. You had one and not weird at home one and then it got weird. I, I had one. I, I actually I got lucky. I was able to do all of them in studio. I did oh, okay. most of my work. I did. I did a, like a real marathon session. With most of the episodes in February uh, in person in a studio. And then they sort of put everything on pause started just animating everything they had because the season's going to come out in two chunks what okay. what is dropping today when this episode's come out is the first five episodes and then there's another five that are almost finished that i don't know when they're going to announce when those are coming out but within this year mm -hmm. um so they focused on the ones that they had totally in the can and then when i had to go back and record more it was when things were a little less scary at least numbers had dipped in new york and like I was terrified about being on a set, but being in a hermetically sealed recording booth felt as safe mm. as any type of performance could possibly be. That's pretty you know? ideal. Yeah. You barely like meet anyone on the way in yeah. to do that kind of thing. Right. Right. And like everyone's directing over Zoom anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, w I was able to do all of it in studio, which was great because like doing shit from home doesn't feel professional it's very hard to feel like you're doing a job and there's no it's... pump up there's no like the the commute where you think about it and what could go wrong but what could go yes. right and how do i like sort of talking yourself up and, like, and then you're in a place and you perform right you lose that and you also uh gain a, a thing i'm sure you guys can relate to the added stress of am i fucking this up on a technical level at every single moment just like yeah, constantly sure. checking to make sure everything's plugged in correctly because it's like, oh, I have to be my own engineer as now well as well. Um, it's a tad distracting, yes. Yeah, which I had to do for some other voiceover things. But I was like very happy that I got to do Orco like all those sessions in studio in a normal way, not rushed with you know the animators and Kevin Smith, the showrunner, and the voice director, and everyone like on. Uh, and, and sort of guiding me through stuff. I think the show is uh, going to be uh, really good. I'm really uh, proud of it. Uh, and hopefully people are liking it now. But all this to say, um, my, my love of He-Man stems from, I'm, I'm a little younger than you guys. And as Jason said, like, generationally, that's when He-Man is just petering out, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, Most of my He-Man toys came from garage sales. Right. Like, my object permanence phase comes in when He-Man is, like, done. When, yeah. you know, like, the new adventures is bombing out. Um, and and I was a big nerd kid and, like, just never stopped collecting action figures and was obsessed with comic book stores and everything there. And every other, I feel like, 80s kids property still existed in some form into the 90s, right? Like... There were evolutionary changes, but like Transformers is still in the ecosystem. It might be Beast Wars now, but Transformers still exists. You know, like G.I. Joe is going through reinventions, but G.I. Joe still exists. He-Man was just nowhere for like 10 years. It was just like memory hold. It was gone. There was just like no media. There was no retail presence. There was no nothing. Um, and I would read this magazine, Toy Fair magazine, that was like the big action figure magazine. And they would talk about He-Man all the time. And I'd be like, what's this reference I don't 
get. Like, I was very much a kid where I was trying to understand what the nerds 10 years older than me liked so I could, like, be in the club and make the jokes. And I was so confused by the fact that there was no, like, cultural presence for He-Man outside of this one magazine that was weirdly still obsessed with it. They would be in, like, cartoons. Toy Fair would have, like, these, like, jokey cartoons, which honestly felt like the precursor to Robot Chicken to me. It most. To a fair fear theater. Right? Yes. Yeah. Most of Twisted the writers Migo and creators. Twisted, it, okay, yeah. It was Twisted Mego, and then they changed it to Twisted Toy Fair at a later point because of copyright shit, I think. So oh, both right. of you are both right. correct. Jason and I are um, both right. Great. But uh, no, but literally, the uh, creators and original writers of uh, Robot Chicken are largely guys who wrote that. Yeah. With Seth Green. Yeah. That makes oh, sense to me. It's the direct precursor. And it was this toy magazine that had like a sense of humor. And they would put Skeletor and He Man into their comics, but they would also just like write them up as like, oh, these are the big ones. You know, it's like mm-hmm. Duke and Snake Eyes and uh, Lion O and He Man. You know, like that's their sort of like Mount Rushmore for like 80s kids who grew up with the, you know, fighting action figures um so it was when i went to summer camp and there was a kid who was older than me who was obsessed with he-man uh who started like telling me about it and then i got really into it and then there was a relaunch in 2002 where they did a new modern he-man show um that was on cartoon network and i was like 13 or 14 at that time and then got super into he-man uh, a children's property from the 80s. It was a great, <laughs> very cool time for me to suddenly be all in on this thing where everyone was like, you're obsessed with a cartoon show from before we were little that none of us remember that is now rebooted for current day children? Like, why can't you exist in your own time? Why are you like Two simultaneously weird sides of fences. older and younger than you should be? <laughs> hmm. Amen. <laughs> That pretty much guaranteed you became a podcast. Like how, if you survey yes. podcasters, how many could be described in that way? It's um, it's the the unconscious training for the media landscape we now live in. Yeah, um, I, I feel like Thundercats kind of fell into this memory hole too, and like yes. and then got rebooted later. Yeah. My my exposure to a lot of this stuff. There was a run. There was a period in time kind of related to the comic book boom. Kind of related to like action figures just becoming big business when people would open quote-unquote collectible stores and it was mostly just like junky old toys some still in boxes some not in boxes a handful of comic books if you could rent a retail space and you could get a bunch of this shit some of it's probably your own collection you're selling like that was that was where I would find some of this stuff. Like, especially in South Jersey, this caught on. And my family's like, we want to go to the beach. And I was like, I want to go to this dank basement where someone sells dusty old toys, please. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, if you're seeing He-Man toys at, like, a flea market or collectible store or whatever, they, they truly looked unlike any other action figures. Like, they they just... As, as they say, their whole thing was, like, this was Mattel trying to fight with Star Wars first wave, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, early 80s going, like, we passed on Star Wars. Kenner has just been making hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars with these things. Now, Hasbro has rebooted G.I. Joe. I mean, I might be getting my timeline wrong. I don't know if that's right before or right after. But it's like they had their sort of famous boys property that they were able to relaunch and make smaller and build into vehicles and new cartoon show and all that shit. Mattel was like, we need to 
owned something. And this is what, as I've gotten older, I've come to love more and more about He-Man as sort of what Mike was talking about, where it's like, it's a boardroom of people trying to solve the equation of how do you make something that every single kid would find cool. And it's just like these cynical guys like chain smoking, throwing every idea at the wall. And then at some point someone comes in and goes like, what if it's just all of them at the same time? (laughs) (laughs) And it's sort of just like this, this jambalaya of all of it, of just Mm -hmm. like sci-fi and fantasy and barbarianism and monsters and robots and like everything with this mythology that is like so thinly sketched out names that are like established within like five minutes in the back of a napkin when someone's taking a shit and then it gets passed around to all these different mediums and all of them start trying to actually make something out of it Mm -hmm. so like you know there's no media to support it when it comes out they go in and pitch it and uh, Toys R Us is like, how will, I mean, this is cool, but like, how will kids know any of these characters? And they're like, oh, because of the comic books. And they were like, what comic books? And they're like, they're comic books inside the packaging. And they're like, oh, oh good idea. Okay, we'll order like 10,000 of them. And they walk out and the one junior Mattel guy says to the other guy, like, what comic books? And he goes, I don't know. That's your job to fucking figure it out now. <laughs> Whoa. Like, I was just saying some shit, but now that's your purview. We have no budget. Make comic books. Mm-hmm. And so they start, like, hiring these guys who are, like, science fiction novelists to write these comic books that came inside the action figures, which were starting to establish the mythology, which then when the toys get big, they do a cartoon show. The cartoon show almost immediately negates 50% of what is in the comic books that come with the toys. And then they're like, DC Comics, you should do some comic books too. And the DC Comics, that maybe comes before the cartoon show, but DC Comics creates a bunch of new things that negate that. So you already have like, the DC Comics are different from the comics that come with the toys, are different from the cartoon show. And there are shared elements, but there are areas in which they totally bump up against each other. And the movie comes out, it's its own fucking thing. When they reboot it, it's its own fucking thing. Modern comics are their own fucking thing. There's a modern toy line from the late 2000s into the 2010s that established its own mythology that was trying to reconcile everything. And weirdly, Power Tour, I would argue, is one of the first times they kind of cleanly laid everything out and presented a somewhat definitive story that tracked. Mm-hmm. They took all of the mythology and they, because this is what happens actually now, I feel like, because like Turtles is the same way where there's like yes. 15 different timelines you can go back. So when you're making a new version of it, you literally just have to pick and choose and try to make something like cleaner out of a bunch of just like haphazard decisions people make because they're like, I don't know, this got thrown on my desk today. I have no affection for it because it's new. Who gives a shit? And then 20 years later, people with actual affection are like, here's how it actually happened. Here's what I think is actually the true canon because I have that with turtles. I know what I think is real and what's not. Like I get right. So this is the cleanest version you're saying of Masters in In the old days. Way, yes. In that early days because like what you're saying with Turtles, it's like everyone, every time they relaunched it, someone kind of came in with a new thing, right? Whatever the creative team mm-hmm. is, whoever was in, on top, they sort of like, went, well, this time we're going more cartoony or more serious or more like the comics or less like the comics or whatever. He-Man, it was like four things right out of the gate that all clashed with each other mm-hmm. that like didn't make sense. And there's even stuff where like the paintings on the back of the packaging for the original He-Man toys, half of them look nothing like the characters, 
Like they made prototypes, they painted the prototypes, and then they changed the look of the characters. And then when right. those characters showed up in the cartoon show, they had a third different design. And in the comics, they had different colors. Like it was just such a mess. It was so disorganized. But there's weird magic that comes out of that. Like yeah, it's an interesting weird... counter to like a uh, a George Lucas Star Wars universe yes. that is very specifically crafted, and it's the vision of one guy. And then watching yes. like two hundred people try to replicate that, and not really talking to each other. There have been so many lawsuits with guys who claim like, "No, I was the creator of He Man." Because mm-hmm. there are like 10 different guys who can say like, well, I'm the creator of He-Man because I built the model. But like I came up with the name He-Man, but I came up with this part of the mythology. Well, I had the idea to do a toy line that was like this. Um, you know, they looked at these like Star Wars action figures and they were like, these are small and wimpy. And they just put clay on top of it and as much muscle as they possibly could. <laughs> and the He-Man toys, and this is like when Arnold is starting to get big. And Schwarzenegger is presenting this like new body type. And they were like, just go for that. Just like absurd muscles upon muscles. You know, but what's the timeline with Conan the Barbarian, like in, ter- in terms of affecting and influencing this? Or are Scott? they sort of separate, but then interweave Great at question. some point? Great question. A lot of controversy in this era. <laughs> there is a rumor that Mattel had the license for Conan toys, started producing them, then found out the movie was going to be rated R, uh, realized it was not uh, a child-friendly property took the prototypes they had made and made them He-Man instead. That they were actually supposed to be Arnold Sculpts. That has been disputed by a lot of people. That the timeline doesn't work out, that there was one meeting taken, but that didn't really line up, uh, and that the this was already in development. Okay. Uh, when He-Man was originally created, the muscle thing was a big thing because they were trying to, like, big dog the star wars toys that was the big thing was that all the star wars toys had that like kind of like straight arms straight legs kind of very vanilla posing and we're all very skinny to fit in vehicles and they like all the he-man toys are in this crouch and their arms are bent their knees are bent they sort of look bad already and they just have like grotesque amount of muscles it's it's rock and wrestling time too it's hulk hogan it's so like kids are just (laughs) kids are desiring a jacked guy they want a toy of a jacked guy now yeah, and, and the original idea for He-Man, there was this character that Mattel had in the 70s named Big Jim, who was, like, their competitor <laughs> to G.I. Joe. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, I kind of want to be looking at Big Jim. I, yeah, I, I, now I just want to know about Big Jim. Oh, I'm uh, about to tell you. Oh, please. please. Big, Big Jim was, like, their answer to G.I. Joe, where it was like, oh, this is, like, a 12-inch, like, handsome, built brunette man uh, doll with removable outfits and he could be anything. Like oh, hair is nuts. Or sometimes he has this like helmet hair. It's crazy. This is the thing. Big Jim, they were just like, he's just like a blank slate and he can be an astronaut if we want, or he can be a fucking like the $6 million man or a secret a spy. spy. Yeah. Or right. a lifeguard. Or, so yeah. he's, the, he's the next generation of action man. Yes. Action yes. Man was a very similar, like, kind of a Thunder, kind of had a Thunderbird sort of outfit. But yes. yeah, you could get a million different. He could be a scuba diver. He could be right. a soldier sort of, of thing. And then Action Man survives in the UK and becomes the dominant thing. Like, in the UK, they have no cultural fondness for G.I. Joe. Action Man right. lingered and has become their, like, dominant boys action figure hero in history. 
Um, Can I just say Big Big Jim? I'm looking at a lineup of Big Jims. Look down in the bottom right. Big Jim is a firefighter in a silver suit. And like he looks like he's like a a 50s sci-fi robot. What firefighters have you ever (laughs) seen in silver suits? I mean, let's be honest. Big Big Jim's a sociopath. He's (laughs) right. I mean, it can't be everything. You can't do all Catch me if you can. You're telling me he. He's talented ca- Mr. Ripley. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. He's camping, football, baseball, firefighter, Arctic explorer, race driver, boxer, cowboy, safari hunter, commando, warm up, skin diving, <laughs> karate, and basketball. And this is like one page. Like Spy's not on there, as you pointed out. He's got his like secret disguise shit. Why is um, how come when he's a football player? Why does he have a cape? Football players Big, don't have capes. That's Big one thing Jim's, I know about sports. Big Jim's got a lot of shit going on. And like moderate success, but didn't really linger. In the 80s, they come back around. They go like, is that the concept? Do we do a modern Big Jim thing in a smaller scale where it's like a hero who can become anything? And they were sort of thinking a more fantastical version of it. They made this prototype I love where it was the one figure with like the body pose we sort of know and the musculature of He-Man, but they were removable parts and it was like, he can be a spaceman and the spaceman armor was just Boba Fett armor painted orange. It was the helmet and the jetpack, <laughs> the exact Boba Fett shit painted orange. Uh, he can be a barbarian and it was like a Conan style barbarian, but, but a slightly different look. And this predates when Mattel would have taken the Conan movie pitch. And then the third one is a tank man and the tank man is his head is just the turret of a tank (laughs) he like he is a military vehicle um and they were just like the barbarians the thing they did all this focus group like shit with little kids and they were like little kids are obsessed with the idea of power that's the whole thing they want to feel powerful they want to feel in control the -hmm. whole thing is like i have the power that He-Man is like this dude who has power, no one can tell him what to do. And then they just threw every single thing into the pot to like flesh out his universe. Every type of supporting character, every type of genre, um, all of that. And it was, uh, yeah, hugely successful. Uh, outsold Barbie for like a number of years, was Mattel's number one thing, it was making like billions of dollars. Uh, the cartoon show was huge. It like just flowered and then uh, it was so big and they realized that they had a very, very uh, uh, sort of unusual percentage of female viewers as opposed to most boy action shows. So they decided we're going to spin this off. We're going to do She-Ra, He-Man's sister, uh, make a show and have to explain why his sister has never been mentioned until now because she was <laughs> like stolen Maleficent style. Um <laughs> Oh, but uh, was very big and at a certain point I think was even outdoing it in the ratings, outdoing it in sales maybe. And then like 1986, 1987, it just plummets. It just plummets out of nowhere. It was one of these things where it went from like He-Man is making $500 million a year to He-Man's making $20 million a year. It was like one year where it dropped like that. And there are all these different theories on what happened. All the cranky dudes at Mattel blame it on She-Ra. They say that, like, there was this show that the boys' little sisters liked to watch, and that was fine. But then once there was a girl show, then it made He-Man look like a girly property. And when the girls had their own warriors to play with, then the boys got territorial and abandoned it. Which I don't know if I really believe that. There's also a story that they fucked up, like, circulation. 
that the toys were selling so well, the retailers were like, we want more and more. And they kept on creating more and more characters. Like they made so many different characters in the original line over the span of only like four years or something. Um, but at a certain point, they weren't still producing the main characters. And so the yeah. stores just got clogged with like a lot of these final year deep cut characters who end up in the power tour, who they were desperately trying to make cool, who like never made it onto the cartoon show, were only in the power tour. And now like oh. your shelves were filled with snout spout and <laughs> like blast attack. I love snout and, spout. I, these guys weren't in the, cause I'm not so up on all this mythology. So some of this is only tour. Some of these uh, I, I I don't want to get uh, reamed by He-Man fans who are more um, uh, comprehensive in their knowledge than I am. I don't remember which are which, but some of these characters were never on the cartoon show, were only in the tour. Wow. Some of them wow. only appeared in, you know, like mini comics. Like there was that sort of like uh, scattering of it. And um, the the movie was supposed to be the big thing that sort of rejuvenated it, and then it bombed really hard. It was tied up in canon, sort of like going under, and Superman 4, and the budget was getting cut, and it sort of like fell flat. But this show was like a huge fucking success, and to the best that I could check it, still holds the record for the most sold-out performances at Radio City Music Hall. That oh seems God. so insane. I was trying to find any like further validation than the people involved in this show, but it is 18 is the number. 18. And I don't know. So That's like a lot. I'm like, why wouldn't that be the, 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 the winner of that stat? That's crazy. They sold out 18 performances at Radio City Music Hall, and that is the smallest venue they ever played. I was going to say, wow. because if you're comparing it to Turtles... This is yes. arenas. Turtles it was, was, a, was a theater yes. tour, and this right. is, in, in L.A., it was the L.A. Sports Arena. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, and, when, and if you see any videos where it pans to crowd, yeah, it's always, like, you know, theater in the round style. Radio City was the only theater they played. Otherwise, it was stadiums. Jeez. Yeah. And this, I, I, as I started looking up pictures and videos of this, I was kind of surprised because this looks expensive really fucking expensive yeah like the, the mortal kombat show this looks a little chintzy but this extreme. looks like they spent so much money <laughs> i think that's why the costumes were sort of going viral however many months ago it were i mean viral within our very nerdy corner of the internet but like <laughs> yeah sure. all of us sort of noticed it in our timelines because you are kind of taken aback by like these costumes look higher quality than the other types of these shows that you've seen before. Like, there's something less chintzy about this. And even just the scale of the show, like, the narrative ambition of the show is wild. Like, this is a thought I had uh, watching it. It feels like this show is every different type of theme park show run back to back to back to back. Like, it has, like... <laughs> 30-minute stretches where it's like, now it's a condensed musical version of the story. Now it is a stunt show, right? Mm -hmm. Now yeah. it is this weird fucking attorney and circus thing. Like, yeah, which what is, the yeah. Fuck is less this? less uh, um, uh, tracked on you or less like uh, um, archived seemingly. I, I didn't ever see like yeah. a really good copy of the attorney and circus. It's, but then it's, also yeah. like Starlight Express kind of performers yes. on roller skates. Skating. <laughs> roller That's skating where it really performers. hooked me. Yeah. Skating. It's like it's like a dance show, a stunt show, a musical 
a rock opera a little bit a rock opera sort of pseudo futuristic rock opera the moment where i felt like i need to bring this to the good boys we need to talk about this on podcast the ride is songster just feels like such a ptr (laughs) character oh boy oh you know i lit up at songster let let me just uh, I'll, i'll pull him up on the screen so let's explain songster I guess he's uh, well, there's a little this. We're looking at kind of his like his hero shot from the program of the tour and we'll post these somewhere. Uh, But his little like uh, attribution songster, the cosmic troubadour tells the ancient legends through his music. So he's introduced like, like, I guess we have to say a little about the premise of the show because it's not just it's not, you know, that the He-Man characters are touring a concert, and it's not just that this is happening and you're not part of it. It is a right. tour. Power tour is correct. It's almost like if the Pope was coming to your town or just like yes. a bunch of dignitaries from a nation that you knew a little about but wanted to know more, and they're bringing the best that they... Kind of a Shen Yun, Right. Yes, it's yes. really like a Shen Yun. Oh, yeah, five thousand years of Eternia civilization. <laughs> but that's like a very important distinction, Scott. Because coming out of our shells is the turtles have decided they want to rock for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Splinter taught them about music, and now they want right. to just share it with the world. Yeah, right. And they're like doing a tour. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we're treating this like it's a concert. And then I remember seeing like a Rugrats Radio City Music Hall show when I was young. That was like an original stage show with people in terrifying costumes, Mm -hmm. you know, and lip sync songs. But that was just a play. You know, that was just a Rugrats musical that toured. Uh, This this is the format of the show is, as you said, it feels papal. It does feel like you are going to be blessed by visitors from Eternia. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. very, because it's very pomp and circumstance in like a way that things in the 1600s would have been pomp and circumstance, where it's all like banners and fine linens, and then yeah. they show you their, their traditions. It's like, it's their culture. It's not like... Here's like a random, a random smattering of people and bands or something. It's like but this is the best and brightest yes. of an entire culture. Right. The narrative of this show is the Eternians, the High Eternians want to share their culture with you and some things get disrupted. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is almost supposed to be a very regal, austere, educational presentation for the audience. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. the it's first like, act in a way, if it wasn't characters who you knew about from toys and TV. You yeah. as a child might be bummed to see this if it was right. about for anything else that you'd never this is heard like of. A royal wedding? Like, what are all these weird it, traditions? It feels, it feels yeah. like religion. It feels reli- like you're in church. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like you're like what? what now we a reading from the book of yeah. It, like and, they tell you to. That's what Songster does. And when you say it's interrupted, I feel like it's not interrupted that much. It's interrupted a couple times, but they get to do a lot of their presentation. A lot they of get the bulk of it out. Act yeah, outreach. Act, act yeah. One is totally right. uh, uninterrupted. Un-impeached. It's mostly like an in-universe show. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, this is what those characters would do. It almost feels like you're visiting the palace, except, of course, they are visiting you, which is the other weird wrinkle of this. Eternia is like a far-off planet in a distant universe, Right. Um, mm-hmm. that's a big thing. And in the movie, there's like a portal that forms, you know, like Skeletor sends He-Man to 
the New Jersey, I think. It was shot in California, but I think he's sent to New Jersey and all the good guys are stuck in New Jersey and they have to find their way back to Eternia. But it's like that sort of like fish out of water thing. Um, this is sort of doing like a non-terrifying alien encounter thing where at the beginning they're like, we have technology, we're going to bring them to you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, but it's, only it's, nice it's, stuff, only good things. Right, but I find it fascinating that like they even kind of cared enough to be like, no, we have to answer why they're able to come to like, uh, uh, you know, the IZOD Center. I, mean, I was trying to think of what these things would have been called <laughs> fucking 35 years ago. Uh, but but like, you know, well, kids know they come from a different planet. They can't just show up here. They're not going to show up here in a spaceship. You know, you need to create this new like commander character at the beginning who's like, we have the technology. Hold on. Transmission coming through. Let's beam them onto your stage. <laughs> it, I, I imagine that now this is just not and I'm not saying it has to be. I just appreciate that they justified everything logically, because I think now if you see Paw Patrol live, it's just so these dogs are doing a concert for yeah. you. They are here in your city and you're going to sit and watch them. They I don't think jobs. that logic holds. <laughs> yeah. They have other jobs they have to go to on Monday. But <laughs> they, but they took a break for this weekend yeah. to do well, seven well, performances. Also, like, I feel like if you're a little kid and you go see this show, it does make it feel more real to you. Where you're yeah. like, they are really justifying how these characters could be in the same physical space as me. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was this yeah. like first? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was no. going to say, they even work in like the souvenirs. Well, like that is they, so fucking canny. It's and very canny. So craven. But I love that as a kid. Like, I, yes. I bought it hook, line, and sinker, you know? Right. They do their sort of like, if you believe in Tinkerbell, you have to clap moment, except the clap costs $50. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get a sword. Like, there's like, a, everybody, everybody takes a pledge, basically. Yeah. Um, and, which, by the way, that's, that's one part that I... I like not to jump around too much, but I, I really enjoy when I think part of the uh, by this point, Skeletor has been introduced. Skeletor is a presence in it. And there is the line that he man has everybody or asks everyone, which is, do you do you promise to protect this country from the wrath of Skeletor? And the the particular uh, this particular performance was filmed in Calgary. So when he's talking about country, it's Canada. And I find <laughs> it really funny that like, will you children protect Canada from Skeletor? Well, I see the the online records of this show are the guy i think his name's greg park who gus has yeah. park gus park yes gus thank park. you uh he played ninjor in this show okay. and he videotaped like 50 different performances <laughs> but not <laughs> great because so, it's 87 no. don't forget so They're it's just like quality. camera in the back it's as best as you could do a little hard to make out but like there's a video that's just the first hour of the show and then on his account he has like three parts of the attorney and circus in the second act but they're titled weirdly and oh, see, then i missed them it's it's a really hard youtube to navigate yeah it's hard to navigate yeah. and they they come from different nights at different venues i think and then he a couple years ago went to PowerCon, the he-man convention and they screened it with some of the other actors who were in the show and did like a live commentary. And there's a video of that. And that's Which a you 
watch. You just, I, I think that. right before we did this, yeah. Yes. So that's a better quality performance, but it's like they only have... It's a better quality performance... Uh, no, it's, it's the opposite. It's that the video he has up of just the first act is the better quality, but he doesn't have the second act of that show. And yeah. then he has the second act of a different performance split into three videos. And then when they screened it at the convention, it was the whole thing all the way through, but from worse angles with worse sound. If you yeah. go on his YouTube, it's so weird and messy where it's like a, it's all Masters of the Universe and then numbers, but then you there's a missing number or two and you don't know yeah. if that video is going to be um, a bad back of the room video of the show or a brief clip from PM Magazine, an early 80s, new, I guess all of 80s news show where they interview some of the cast. And then the, there's five videos in a row. He's like, well, all right, I better upload all these uh, Masters of the Universe videos finally. Although I should upload this Oak Ridge Boys music video as well. I got to get to that because <laughs> well, if I, I don't like do it. Got like modern martial arts like demonstrations on there as well. I found a thing on a message board where he said a couple years ago that he was trying to get the clearances to do like an ultimate cut and take the best performances from whichever sources he had and put together the most viewable video, but he still hasn't done that. Hmm. But there Is are there some great, in addition to the local news interviews, there's some great local TV, like coming soon to the local spectrum, He-Man, <laughs> Masters of the Universe Power Tour, like great local commercials for this show. All, all of this to say, you do kind of need to navigate the Power Tour, unlike coming out of their shells where like it was recorded professionally released paper. on vhs there was like clear representation of it if you didn't get to see it live you have to sort of construct this event like it's the jfk assassination <laughs> you're looking at it from different angles at different sources not the best video people. ever but yeah. they're trying their right. best is reading any, synopses looking at photos is there any talk of why where is the master recording of the audio like with the songs do they exist know. nobody knows because I just I want to put this forward right off the bat. The songs in this are good, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, like I are they as good as Turtles? I don't know, but they're pretty good. Yeah, I knew this was going to be the issue. I knew Mike I was going to come in fight. Uh, yeah. uh, arguing for. But and here's and now I, I'm not going to I'm going to back off. But let, I'm going to say this. But let, uh, just know that I already backed off of this point. But by the t the sure. by when I'm watching it, by Songster's first song. Um, which I did a little snippet of at the beginning. By the end of that number and looking at the scale of the set, which is this bit, this like giant round, uh, like uh, cliff piece essentially. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of mm -hmm. solid gold dancers and like bright purple. Uh, I, I really like the song. Uh, the songster descended from the ceiling. There's yeah. so much going on and knowing that there's fighting and roller skating. There was a moment like 15 minutes in where I was like, I think this is better than coming out of our shells. And I what? don't. I know, I know it lost me a little bit. So I'm not. I'm not going to say that now. But there was a minute where, like, just pure scale. I really like the music. Um, the, I, it was. Uh, it was neck and neck for me for a minute. I'll say this to be democratic. I think at this show's highs, it is better than coming out of our shells. Coming out of our shells is a more coherent, cohesive work. <laughs> And I say yeah. this is the person a rarely, who watched, a rarely said point, but I, I say true this is the person <laughs> who has watched the entirety of the Attorney and Circus, which is like interminable. It's it's so oh. fucking bad. And in the commentary where they're watching it at the convention, they're like, "So we're just going to talk over the next twenty minutes because this part sucks. It never worked." <laughs> 
We never it never once went over well with a crowd. We never figured it out. We never fixed it. It was a fucking nightmare. The second act of this was like a problem. I have mm-hmm. to go to Mike for your any is this like is your blood boiling at the that there is no, I even mean it's ambitious. I appreciate the ambition and then the songs too, like I especially I would like that's what I'm looking. I'm looking to hear like an official recording. I don't do they even make one? Like I would like to hear it because so. then you could really judge yeah. like because it does feel like uh, from the songs are like the songs are a little more interesting than most of the turtle songs well i look i love uh skipping stones uh and i well, thank you guys for turning course. me on to that one i think it's a genuine oh, jam i've listened to it a lot <laughs> uh, it's the biggest genre I- breaker because the because re- yes. they get into a run of like there's a few like mid album cuts that are very just like all right they're doing kind of uh new kids rehash but that's the one like they they there's a new genre applied and yes. i think yeah. it really uh, it's a new height <laughs> it's also just the vocal performance that is unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fucking unhip when it comes to popular music that most of my major music discoveries of the last couple of years have been because of podcast The Ride, where I'm like, have you guys heard Hot Drinks? (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Like Hot Drinks and the McGruff Crack Cocaine song and Skipping Stones are like in pretty regular rotation for me. And all three I only know because of this podcast. (laughs) I'm honored, but also like, oh my God, we're those and us are your reference for for uh, new music discovery. Unfortunately, yeah. Hmm. That and Phoebe Bridgers, that's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) You you haven't gotten into Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes yet? I I have not even heard of them. (laughs) That's a a podcast of ride favorites. You, when, can, when, you when say you that, but I've never train. listened to them, even despite <gasps> all of their references what? on the show. <laughs> They're fun. When, when did you guys bring them up? Maybe I just, it slipped past me. That's okay. We I mean, brought them up we, once, and then Mike said, frequently brought up on the show. And I was like, are they? <laughs> I brought them up, and the last episode was the Gethard episode we did. Um, oh, but I don't okay. know. I feel like I brought them up twice before that. But Got maybe it. that's only once. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if there was any official soundtrack release but it doesn't feel like there was and it feels like such a bizarre missed opportunity yeah, I mean, there was like, like obviously this show existed to sell merchandise and sold a tremendous amount of merchandise you can only imagine how many millions of, of swords they sold not specifically the sword jason has no not specifically that one yeah. no that is pricier that's a nicer sword no was but it, we what? we haven't mentioned most of this show was pre-recorded like yes, Songster yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and Man at Arms were the only two people with live microphones. Yes, yes. is Songster, what I saw. Songster, who we started setting up, but is the cosmic troubadour and is not only the narrator of the show, but the lead character of the show. He's like the one guy who's on stage the entire time, and he is the new character created only for the tour, which in and of itself feels audacious to me. But I think it fits into this concept they have where it's like, well, He-Man's not going to put on a show for some kids. That's not what he does. He's a hero. Right. Songster's a performer. He-Man will make his appearances, <laughs> right? He'll he'll wave to the crowd. He'll fight off evil. He'll show up when he needs to. But you need someone whose power set is music. Music, You yeah. go to see the Pope. He waves from a box. He doesn't go. He doesn't sing a song for you. People sing for right. the Pope. Right. Not- He-Man's, He-Man's the Pope. 
if Skeletor invaded and the Pope had to get out of the box and fight a little bit. So, like, if the devil showed up during a, a papal visit. Right. Which sounds like, like, God, I wish that would happen. Boy, I, I mean, who wouldn't go see the Pope if the Pope comes to your town if you thought the devil was going to actually get be there? Especially if Songster was narrating it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the tale of how the devil became the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say th- there was a, um, this I, I mentioned previously, but uh, this action figure line called Masters of the Universe Classics that uh, started uh, the models that have ruined uh, Mike and my life. Uh, Forever. Where, right, where all these toys get pre-sold online. You have to order them on a specific day uh, because the 2000s He-Man had failed but there were still like a big adult collector's market yeah there's mutagen man uh from super seven which is a direct lineage of masters of the universe classics uh in in how that toy line structured but um it was this toy line where they were trying to make the definitive version of every character from every version of the property and all these characters that never been done before and variants and shit like that and um I, I heard that they wanted to make a Songster action figure oh. and they were going to do it as a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, which like, Mike, Perfect. you were beating the drum for the coming out of our shells toys for so long. And Randy and NECA kept on being dismissive about it for years. But then all of a sudden he started playing along with me on Twitter and then it right. made it feel like I may have been the reason he did it. I just feel like there was this like attitude for a long time that you really helped push back against that like coming out of our shells is not real turtles. That's embarrassing. Whereas well, Motu that, yeah. was was gonna do a fucking songster figure like ten years ago. Is there? Are you on multiple Facebook groups, Masters of the Universe Facebook groups? I mean, it's gonna be hard now that you're on the show, but like I'm yeah. on multiple Facebook groups that involve the turtles. And when the turtles, when they made coming out of our shells tour turtles, peep, there were like half the audience, maybe thirty percent of the audience that were furious. This is garbage. This is dumb, childish shit. They shouldn't be making this. I want yeah. more serious turtles. I want the Eastman and Laird red bandana. I want a new version of that from NECA. And there was a very a, a large, angry portion of the audience that felt coming out of shows was not real turtles. So I wonder if it's similar to this. Those you people know are really so fun? fucking cool. Yeah, yes. you know what's really fun, Mike, is when you're going into those like message boards and groups that you've been part of for over a decade, and now they're arguing about the thing that you're a part of, and you can't say anything. Must be weird. <laughs> the fucking weird. And it's social like, justice warrior Orko. I can't handle this character. <laughs> uh, uh, Jason, not even a joke. Not even a joke. Oh yeah. It just uh, absolutely absurd projection shit, and like shit that uh is based in nothing or shit that is correct but like it can't be explained because it's a spoiler and why don't you just wait and watch the thing and then decide whether you like it or not rather than listen to these youtube channels that are trying to stoke outrage anyway songster it felt like for a long time motu because of its goofy origins and how disparate all of its different like incarnations were was more accepting of all the weird nooks and crannies and things like songster Mm -hmm. um they were going to do this songster action figure as a san diego comic-con exclusive and the idea was to get the guy who played songster on the tour to come to comic-con and do a concert and like be in the mattel booth and that would make like a splash and apparently he asked for too much money oh Oh, geez oh bummer Uh, um 
I've had this this uh, uh, image up on the screen for for a while. Let me just like we'll post it on Twitter, but like let's just describe some details. It's like a little yeah. bit Ren Fair with spangles and open chest and it's a like kiss too. Like the color palette's yeah. different, but the actual pattern of the outfit with and like where big it's shoulder tight. guard kind of things and yeah. yes and like and tight in the pants and big boots. Absolutely. Long, it's a colorful tall kiss. Boots. Yeah. Um, and then the guitar is unbelievable. It is yes. like it's like a space broom. It <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> it's got like, no strings, seemingly. No it's strings. Like, yes. Big turquoise rod, and then like big kind of angular, like cut weird pink plastic uh, with stripes that mean nothing. But then still right. a dial, still like a like a little crank it to eleven dial. Um, I mean this image, and then he he himself is sort of. It feels like. Um, I mean, it, there's like a little bit of Siegfried and Roy in there with the yeah, cape. Oh, a lot of Siegfried um, and Roy, yeah. It's a little bit like if, if, if you squint, and especially you look at this black and white one, you know, like Prince oh, is influenced God. in this a little bit. Yeah. Angular oh, guitar yeah. and the hair and the earring. Um, yeah, it's there's a, in this one, there's kind of a, uh, uh, you could sort of make out the penis shape. In the pants, that's uh, the kind He-Man of. has a prince. Yes, extremely. He, he yeah. looks like that Robin Chris O'Donnell hot toy that I'm going to buy yeah. next year. Um, I, yeah, although a I little, <laughs> kind of a, a little bit of a tiny shape. That's no offense huge. to the, <laughs> I, I If you were going to show it so well, maybe kind of yeah, like puff yourself Sonster, up. He could have done some stuffing. Um, <laughs> I, I think I that. Do? No, I'm not going to. That's the. I just had the grossest thing I was about to what? say. No, oh, no, Mike, you have to say the grossest thing. Say it. I was going to say maybe that's just a vein. <laughs> that's, what? Oh, oh, so the penis. That at. is oh, the grossest okay. thing you could possibly say. That's pretty yeah. gross. Yeah. That's the grossest yes. thing I've ever said on the podcast. That a vein, just a vein on a penis would be as just big as someone's vein. actual penis. Well, yeah, because you are not seeing the rest of it. That seems <laughs> like it'd be more concerning than yes. impressive. Still. I yes. don't know. I it goes, don't his know. actual penis goes up his back. He's hiding it because it's too... <laughs> he wraps it around. I just... <laughs> I like, a, I think this guy playing Songster is giving... And I... I there was an injury where Songster got stuck from the opening where they drop him from such an insane height. So oh. I think he, he missed a small number of shows, but it was the one guy doing it for like 98% of the tour. Um, um, I so have his name uh, and his... Uh, uh, wait, I got it. Uh, uh, Doug Howard is the guy's name. And I, I mean, sparked to his Wikipedia because a couple things... Uh, one, he, uh, for one tour and one album, uh, was in the band Utopia, which was Todd Rundgren's prog rock band. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm a big Rundgren guy. Um, and, but also, here's one for Jason. This guy, Songster's grandfather, wrote the song, <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, no! my honey. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> the writer of that. He wrote the Have fucking Michigan J. Frog song? Yeah, yeah. Which was apparently at some point purchased just outright by Warner Brothers. It was wow. like a song in the world and then became a Warner. So it could be in the WB server verse. Uh, LeBron uh, and Granny could run into 
They could they could run into that song and the writer Joseph E. Howard as much wow. as they needed to. Blouses uh, win again. <laughs> uh, of, of the many many uh, uh, sort of uh, systemic failures of Space Jam: A New Legacy, some of which no. we were talking about right before this recording. We did a audience. We did a full pre-air podcast about Space Jam: A New Legacy. We did at least a second gate on Space Jam: A New Legacy. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't record it the day before. I have to record a fucking two-hour ep- episode about Space. Oh. Jam. Yeah, wait, you'll be covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You gotta get warmed up a little. You know, you gotta get the muscles flexing, you know? I was just gonna say, because it's so hard to formulate an opinion on that movie. Um, I was just gonna say, you just made me realize, how does that movie not use Mr. Genje Frog once? It, how do they not call it Cyberspace Jam? Oh, it's God. right there. Jason, yes. It's right there. Yes, I was saving that for blank check, but yes, I had the exact same thought. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, Bug Main texted me. Space Jam Two is not in space. No, <laughs> never. It, the title is not applicable. I mean, I guess their justification is that they hijack Marvin the Martian's spaceship and they go into Toon Space briefly. Mm. It is IP planets, space. kind the, of. The game is d- distinctly not in space. It's in cyberspace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, on to things that are great and perfect in media, I think Songster is a virtuoso performance. And I think it is just fascinating that this is like if Botanicus was the main character of the E.T. ride and (laughs) E.T. just showed up a couple of times, but everyone loved it. Like, it worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I I have a video clip, and this is uh, uh, I'll ask for patience from you guys and for and from the audience because the quality is not great, uh, as we've said. But I think just to give you a taste of the song, not only that, but also of this this might be good for like setting the stage in general, um, because you will not just hear Songster, but also. He-Man and She-Ra's introduction. And as Jason mentioned, this is a classic theme park trope pre-recorded. So we are looking at actors who are mouthing along to a track. And boy, there is something, this He-Man, this, this voice, I mean, I guess it's his, this is, that's what he sounds like in the cartoon, right? But um, just yes, so, yes. just verbose and clear, and not I that don't emotive know about that Skeletor. Like it's all very. <laughs> there's this weird, like winky quality to it. Um, a little removed. Yes, yeah. This is the first section of the show, which is like a meet and greet, where they're like telling you the customs of Eternia and just introducing the characters to you one by one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, so you've like met a lot of the folks, and then it be- who, who beamed in, and then it, and then you get to He Man and Shira, um, and they introduce um, Songster and say what what his purpose is. So uh, forgive the quality; I might interject with a thing or two. We'd like you to know a bit more about the magical history of our planet. And so we brought along our kingdom's finest storyteller. His name is Songster. And so, his name... Songster will create our Eternian legends before your very eyes. That's right, Shira. So <laughs> sit back... That's right, Shira. ...and enjoy Songster and the legend... That really, that that's right. Shira is so much like when the equivalent of uh, when Osmodi are the tiny green space alien that only Homer can see <laughs> shows up. <laughs> Damn straight, Troy, my man. <laughs> um, all right, now then, songster comes down. Eternia. 
ceiling. The solid gold dancers come out. He landed perfectly in the center. All the dancers had to guide in his little stage, which mm-hmm. is very precarious. Um, I mean, love the song. I love that in this performance, he's shouting out Fairfax, Virginia. Hello, <laughs> Fairfax. He's just got like such a fucking like smooth voice, you know? It's a really yeah, voice. Yeah, very, very yeah, strong. Uh, very powerful, very smooth. Uh, I also just, to continue my E.T. ride analogy, that's the the other thing I'm realizing about the structure of this show is like, here are the attorney and customs, right? Here are all the characters. It's building to like a boiling point. He-Man and She-Ra, holy fucking shit, they're here. And they're like, wait a second, you were excited for us? No, no, no. Now let's introduce the real star of the show. It's Songster. It's like if the opening of the E.T. ride was like, guys, just wait until you fucking meet Botanicus. I'm telling you, this guy is the shit. And then you just spend the rest of the ride in like Botanicus' apartment. Mm-hmm. You know? Like Songster just becomes then the, the protagonist of the show. Yeah, because from this point on, he does like five songs in a row, and they yes. all correspond to a different uh, tale of attorney and legend. Right. Um, right. The, be- it, before it, he it finishes becomes, this one, uh, yes. let me say, because I, I don't want to get to it in the clip, but he starts singing about other, oh, we've got stories to tell, and he gets kind of, uh, you know, into the, the meat of what's going to happen tonight, and then adds, and by the way, Songster's my name! <laughs> <laughs> He go takes you back to rep- <laughs> But like and why would you like He-Man, the guy with the clearest voice in the universe, said his name is Songster. And then he oh. said it again. Some people might have missed it. Yeah, if it's if it's a <laughs> new guy all over you, the place. Yeah. You wanna yeah. make sure. You say I'm Chevy Chase and you're not coming in and going out of update. Yeah. And that's you why know? you became a star. And that's when when you say your known name on television, things change. Well, that's- and That's what course. I when I was talking to Songster, I gave him the advice. You know, you got to say your name twice. <laughs> Somebody has to say it once, and then people you will say tell it. you it's overkill. They're wrong. I said, Songster, when people go to the zoo, the first thing they go to see are the lions. <laughs> um, uh, but also, just in isolation, and by the way, Songster's my name is such an incredible <laughs> sense. <laughs> There's something about anyone saying, and by the way, blank is my name. It's such a weird way to introduce yourself because it's making it clear you're not introducing yourself up front, right? Mm-hmm. You front-loaded some other shit, and then by the way, Blank is my name. (laughs) But then for your name to be Songster is incredible. But yeah, narrative reigns completely thrown over to Songster. He-Man and She-Ra have vacated the stage. Not just the star of the show, but two stars of two different shows. The cross-section of this audience has both been told... It's not about them. Don't worry about them. Songster's the fucking guy. (laughs) And then Songster takes you through this, like, abridged reconciliation 
of the origins of like the He-Man mythology. Yes. Going back to like the legend of Grayskull, the formation of the tower, the power of the sorceress, the, the formation of the castle. You see dancers turn into Castle Grayskull um, and and yes, setting up like this thing that was all retconned. Like that's this insane thing where it's like He-Man doesn't have a sibling, right? Like it's yeah. Prince Adam is the Clark Kent, the uh, mild mattern teen who gets this power uh, this ancestral power in the form of the sword that he can conjure, turn into He-Man, but he is the prince of the kingdom. Uh, his dad is an Eternian. His mom is a human astronaut from Earth who landed on their planet. Something this show takes the time to work in. Like, I'm just impressed with how thorough they are in their backstory. Um, Which admittedly, they, it lost me a little. This is where it lost points it's just to so dense. Ninja yes. Turtles. But yeah, the mythology is dense. And then also the songs end up. I mean, that first song is there. That's Guns Ablazing. I love that song a lot. And then you end up in a little bit more of like um, space version of medieval bard. Like, like that's like structurally, that's what the songs are like a little bit is like telling you which or it's like the guy in, in Robin Hood, the rooster. <laughs> Telling uh, you, uh, sure. like they, they work less as like fun concert pop songs. So I have to give it back to the turtles but in, then in I that think area. It becomes like a decent theme park musical. Like there's this 30 minute stretch where it's just straight up. Here's the story. And you're having story songs sung by the characters, right? Like songs mm -hmm. are singing as well. But you have why am I immediately forgetting the tune of it? But that weird, like staccato, semi spoken Prince Adam song about the fact that he can't lift the sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the... Where he doesn't have the power. He, he yeah. doesn't have the will oh, either. Oh, right, right, right. You know? Right. But the rhythm of that song is so odd. Um, I just think it's interesting where I was watching this and going like, huh, this is interesting that, like, as opposed to these concert shows or writing a new narrative, they're kind of making, like, a big-budget musical out of the origins of these characters and the universe that were never very clearly laid out in the cartoon. And instead they just do that abridged and then they're like, and now some other things. <laughs> it's yeah. They really threw every, again, as you were saying, they threw everything at it. Cause it was like, it feels like it's uh, somebody probably was just like, yeah, let's just make, let's just tell kids about what happened. They should know that. And then someone's like, no, we have to make it present. Something has to be happening now. Right. And then they right, were like, yeah, let's just do all of it. Because well, I guess if you're it's like a you're parent seeing... watching this yeah. and you didn't know anything about like what this kid show that your kid likes, you'll know what's going on by the end of this. You know? It's sort of helpful. They're giving the parents like a crash course. But isn't I guess it's like, are we seeing like historical documents of what happened or reenactments or projections? But you're right. They're like, we want present action. We want the kids to feel like the shit's happening here. So then like. You have this 30-minute section, 20-minute section, whatever it is, of, like, the telling of the story where the characters are singing their own songs and you're seeing how He-Man got the power and Hordak, like, rude the day, said he would some back, come back to claim his prize, which ended up being She-Ra, the twin sister, and that's why she's at her own show and all that shit. And then when that ends, like, Skeletor shows up on the screen and is like, fake news! <laughs> Not... How I remember it happening. And their solution is we have to fight for who gets to tell this story. And the fight is, what do they call it? The power race? The power race. 
Right. It's not a fight. It's a power race, which is a roller skating <laughs> tournament. Yeah. And he like want he kind of just seems to want to be included in the skate. He's just like Skeletor seems lonely and wants to be in a skate thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he just wants to have friends. There's a line in there like once. So yeah, get where you're. You're all the way through the first act with no <laughs> presence of Skeletor, and then five, then you'd hear him. Then it's just his voice, right? Right. There's like a half a second appearance where they say like, and then Hordak found his like protege mm-hmm. and Skeletor's on stage <laughs> for half a second, then disappears is not part of the story as they set it up. And then only comes in afterwards to say like, I dispute the telling of those facts. <laughs> it's propaganda. <laughs> um, review all sides before you judge. Right. But he, then there's, I think my favorite line in the whole thing is right after Skeletor first appears. And then, uh, he-Man says, where are you, bone face? How did you get here? Show yourself. <laughs> where are you, bone, bone face? Bone face is what a dad would call, like, hey, why don't you go play with your, uh, your bone face <laughs> guy, figure? Bone face? <laughs> Skeletor is already, like, one letter off of what dad would have, like, ah, that skeleton? Like, okay, well, we could change the name, and now it sounds like it's like a little bit. Dad couldn't have thought of Skeletor, an average dad. But then yeah. Boneface, yeah, is perfect peak dad. Skeletor specifically says, I will destroy everyone in that arena, which shows you that they are committed to being in arenas. It's not an open-ended venue in this, yes. uh, this, this uh, production hall. It's like, yeah, this is an arena show for sure and really specific and then i think there's some he-man stuff about like somebody says how is he going to destroy everybody i don't know but when (laughs) skeletor sets out to do something he finds a way i don't know that really doesn't put the urgency there (laughs) (laughs) it's you 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 should if anyone knows how to deal with skeletor it would be you yeah you don't what do you mean i don't know we'll take i don't know what's anybody's guess what he's up to they they build up the power race like it's like someone challenging you to a duel in medieval times like oh fuck this is the way things get settled and it's definitive Mm -hmm. and then but yet you're allowed to have like eight participants on each team and only one of them needs to win Mm -hmm. for your side to win this is life and death so let's real quick this side of the audience (laughs) cheer for ninjor and this side of the audience cheer it's like medieval times also. They, they bring yeah. them out one by one and tell the audience to like, let them know how you feel about them. But it is funny that like this show hits the major characters, right? Which like on the good side are He-Man, uh, Man-at-Arms, Tila, Orko, and then his parents to a lesser degree. And on the bad side is Skeletor, Beast-Man, uh, Evil Lynn. And then everyone else in the cast is the newest line of action figures like these are not the primary supporting characters on the cartoon show these aren't the toys the kids own they're the toys they want them to buy so it's like odd if you're a he-man fan to see like a real blast put in like such a position of prominence you know well tell me who because i pulled out just my favorite ones from the program uh and i don't know the mythology super well so but uh, you know it is just a good excuse to see him also uh here's grizzlore okay so Um, grizzlore (laughs) comes from 
the Horde. They were originally supposed to be a new group of villains for He-Man, and then the She-Ra team took them. So then mm. She-Ra kind of had better villains than He-Man for a while. And, oh, okay. And the toys sold really well. Uh, uh, when did he learn to do like uh, the the thriller <laughs> hands? Um, like, ha! <laughs> the other thing, I mean, the famous thing about He Man was they they had like four sculpts by and large that they just reused for everything and would like kit bash different parts and be like, now the robot has lizard arms and his name is Robo Lizard. Like uh, it was just the same pieces, finding ways to paint different colors or whatever. But Grizzlord, the action figure, looks like this, where it's a muscle body and then they just put fur on top of it. <laughs> oh boy, not I bet that is aged well. I bet that's yes. preserved well. It's not flaking off in anyone's, you know, cardboard boxes and starting Absolutely to not. Yeah. And then just regular boots, just like kind of like, you know, um, hot topic sort of boots. Um and then this guy, I really like this guy, Clamp Champ. <laughs> He's got. Yeah. Does anyone uh, know the movie Laser Blast, the Mystery Science Theater movie Laser Blast, yes. where a guy gets yes. a big, like, clunky thing? It's a laser gun attached to his arm. Um, it's like the Tomorrow War, except much bigger, entire arm. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what Clamp. I guess, yeah, that's, this is his. He's got a big, big old clamp on one arm. Now, Clamp Champ is, like, a fan favorite because he was the only black character in the original show. So, like, mm. a lot of fans had affinity for him because for a lot of people, it was like, their only representation he is funny in the sense that uh so many of the he-man characters are like otherworldly or inhuman and whatever their power is is part of their physical being like there's a guy named mechanic whose power is that he is, is like neck and telescope like a thousand feet up in the sky like he's like a a human periscope or whatever but it's like he's got a fucking robot neck Whereas Clamp Champ just holds a thing that can clamp people. Like, oh, it's clamp not Champ's, even. I thought this was clamped to him. That was my absolutely guess. Absolutely not. It's like okay. a thing he holds in his hand, and then from either side of this, like, two pincers come out. <laughs> and he can sort of trap people. Clamp Champ's just a dude who has a weapon. Mm. Owns a good thing. Okay. He owns a good thing. <laughs> um, I, I really like uh, that. You're telling you're saying this guy's new. Yes, uh, he's one of my all time favorites. He he's is, got a, a freaking yes. like r robot elephant head, he, like a big pipe trunk. So this is a question amongst <laughs> fans is like, is that a helmet or is he a robot elephant? Like, is that his true form or is that a mask? Um, but and he is. People who made it don't know. Probably. Nope. No, and, they don't care. He, he is canonically an attorney and firefighter. Like it's the point is that he uses his snout to put out fires and the toy squirted water. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, oh that's, that's cool. fun. God, that would have been my favorite toy. Probably. That's why it says, I yeah, a, a frontline attorney and warrior. I was God. always really like as a kid really into the toys that looked like very detailed or had very odd features in addition yes. to He-Man like the Toxic Avengers like action yes. figures mm -hmm. were so great like I kept those in such good shape because they just had such odd features to them. Well that was a lot of the He-Man designers then went over to Playmates and did the Ninja Turtles line and the Toxic Crusaders line, some other lines. And that was them trying to like one up He-Man and yeah. be like, what if like the poses are even more extreme and the detail is like bananas. Mm -hmm. And if you look under their foot, there are like five different objects sculpted there. <laughs> yeah. Like Muck Man. Right. 
Turtles, yeah. He's a, he was like a muck monster. Had a lot of garbage stuck to him. You remember. <laughs> um, here's uh, uh, We got Man at Arms and Tila. Man at Arms yeah. is a, just a great mustache dude. Um, yeah, the musculature on these suits is also just kind of insane. Like, they, they really have gone for... You know, in the way that it, people always throw out that statistic of like, oh, if Barbie, like if someone had Barbie's proportions in real life, they wouldn't be able to stand up. Right. They like took the musculature from the action figures and made it just as grotesque as it would look scaled up to a real human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just Perfect. requires like a bunch of padding. It's just the yes. most like fake yeah. sumo suit. Um, <laughs> Soft muscles. It, because like nobody looks um, su- as as mighty. Uh, uh, yeah, it's hard to find a bunch of people who are built like He-Man and She-Ra, which brings me to this point. Do we know the thing about where who those people were in the yes. tour and where they came from? Yeah. Yep. It's yep. so That's great. It's a charming story. Yes. We all landed on this? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, somebody else feel free, but uh, J- Jack and Leslie Wadsworth uh, are, and by the way, Jack and Leslie Wadsworth are their names, and they, uh, they're married in real life. Mm-hmm. And they met uh, while portraying Conan and Red Sonja at Universal Studios Hollywood. They were in the Conan wow. live show. Not, date, met there at both as muscle people and then were married by the time they were touring the country as Eman and She-Ra. A brother and sister, who kids were often confused what their relationship was. <laughs> played by yes. a married couple, a happily married couple who are still married to this day. Um, wow. Did any of you uh, read or hear about their wedding? No. Yes. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, do you want to go ahead? Um, uh, I don't think I saved that part of the article in front of me. I'll say show that, us, that. Show us your notes. No, I just clipped <laughs> Make the, them public. About, oh, wait. No, I do have it. Uh, Universal offered to pick up the wedding tab if they would exchange vows on the set. The wedding <laughs> album shows bride and bridegroom in the set's dungeon with barbarians looking on. And that's terrific. They got you married. Know? In the Red Sonja Conan Universal stunt show. Universal oh. was so charmed by the fact that they were <laughs> together in real life and that they met through the show that they came to them and said, we will cover your entire wedding if we're allowed to make this into like a press event. Wow. Yeah. And, and Bob no Mackie built her dress for her wedding. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. And that she's like, it was crazy. I was like not a girl who grew up dreaming of like my big extravagant wedding. And then I had the most extravagant wedding of anyone I know. <laughs> I only had to pay for like the material cost of Bob Mackey's dress. He just, all he asked me to pay for was the uh, the materials themselves and then everything else was comped by Universal but all my wedding photos look like they're in hell because they're <laughs> in this like nightmarish set can we take a picture by the globe no the set the photographer yes. will only cover the set um, that's just a reporter that's like catnip for like a human interest story for oh, Universal yeah. for the He-Man yes. people there's yeah. a long LA Times article about this tour. It's a very funny artifact because I feel like it's pop culture reporting that isn't done nowadays because it's kind of like confrontational. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, this is silly bullshit. That's a sinking ship, right? Um, 
and it's it's kind of it's a little mean and i kind of but like reporters don't write about companies like this nowadays because they would immediately get a call as soon as it hit the press oh like what the fuck did you say we gave you free tickets motherfucker like <laughs> it's but it is very funny where they're like yeah this show's really big and uh it's torn a lot of places but um these toys are making a lot less money so who knows how long they'll be around for <laughs> Yeah, it is fascinating to me that the toys were cratering so fast and that this show was maybe the most successful element of this property ever. That, like, simultaneously the two things are happening where this is the only part of the property that is succeeding. Weird. Yeah. Very strange. Um, It's Um, funny, the Conan reference, because I feel like the, the Conan stuff, the rights get really weird, where it's like, oh, the Robert E. Howard... Robert E. Howard created Conan, but Red Sonja with a Y was in a Conan story, but Red Sonja with a J was created by Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith at Marvel Comics. So they're sold off separately. Red Sonja comics are published by one company. The others are published by Marvel at this point, and it's very bizarre. It's like Micronauts or He-Man, where it's like the legalities of it is just totally insane. Well, He-Man is also now, because Filmation got hired to do the cartoon show, and then Filmation was bought by, like, company after company after company, and then was bought by Classic Media, which is one of these companies that was, like, gobbling up every independent vintage cartoon or property that was out there, and then that got bought by Katzenberg, and then Universal bought DreamWorks. So, like... Universal owns part of the He-Man rights and then Mattel owns the other part. And some characters are in one silo and some are in the other and some of like the imagery or the music can only be used by one party or this or that. Like this feels like the last moment maybe where everything's kind of like in one place and everyone's working together happily. Yeah. Right, because yeah, I mean, there's all this. I think I talked on the like tur- Turtles is like that. All of a sudden, when Nickelodeon or Viacom bought Nic- uh, Turtles, it was trying to get all the rights from the various places because right. of how confusing it was. So the characters created in the Archie comics, they'd have to go to the guy who was writing and the guy drawing and get the rights for like say Raphael's girlfriend and Jara, and then the writer would say, "No, I'm not selling you the rights to Raphael's girlfriend and Jara, the <laughs> sexy female ninja fox." And he still owns it to this day, I believe. Like, Orca was created by Filmation. Orca was not in the toy line or any of the comics first. But Mattel seems to have a lot of leeway and control over Orca. Whereas there there are certainly characters that were Filmation only that, like, can't be touched unless there's an, an additional license taken out. But also I know, like, the... The show, the show that I'm on, Revelation, is primarily produced by Mattel with mm-hmm. Netflix. But then the She-Ra cartoon, which was also for Netflix, was produced by DreamWorks Animation <laughs> and not Mattel. It's very okay. confusing. Everything is very yeah. confusing. And part uh, of it is that I think more of She-Ra was developed by Filmation in concert together, whereas He-Man, the toys were already on the shelf before they brought them on to do the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. I, it's the question I've been having to answer for the last year and a half, which is like, oh, the show I'm on is not connected to the Netflix She-Ra. 
And right. the right answer is so boring and convoluted, it's not worth answering. So the easier answer is, this shows a continuation of the original 80s cartoon, which is in the same continuity with the 80s She-Ra cartoon. So technically, it's connected to that She-Ra as opposed to the new She-Ra, which is a new reboot. There hmm. is a theme park connection in the midst of this. 2018 She-Ra was briefly in Universal Studios' Islands of Adventure in the Lost Continent, taking oh, pictures. Oh, wild. A hmm. few years ago, like, uh, when that come out? 2018, I think? Yeah. Like, so around there, there was a walk around She-Ra. Universal seems to have a lot more free reign with what they can do with She-Ra without Mattel's permission versus He-Man, where it's like, Universal owns these cartoons. They don't own the characters. It's, right. it's also complicated, and it's why... Everything needs to merge so that all properties can be in one convenient server verse. Just, you know, something as clean as and understandable as Warner 3000, where algae rhythm reigns supreme and can dictate uh, what properties everyone makes. Oh, God, it just makes life so much better. It wouldn't be very easy. Um, I was thinking, and I I didn't find anything about this, because... I wonder if, like, by the time Turtles rolls around, if it's like they've learned... Le- I wonder if this was brought up in the meetings. Because Turtles is so. so much more synergy. The tape was being yes. sold at Pizza Hut. Yes. It was an immediate quick show. Obviously, the tapes, VHS tapes, not the audio cassettes, were also mm-hmm. being sold. Multiple. I have the making of VHS. I have the actual first performance of it. Um, and I wonder if Masters of the Universe, they were thinking, like, they're going to do the Jay Leno stand-up comedy idea of, like, you know, don't ever put it on video because people won't come out to see it. Like, is the, it was that they're thinking? Because, like, it does, it's crazy for a, it's a property crazy. for toys that's all about selling people things and merchandise and souvenirs from that live show. Yeah. I wonder if that's what, that was their thought process with it. Like we I want do. people to come see the muse, this music. We right. don't want them to be able to, they'll never come if they have an audio cassette of it. You have to imagine that was the thought. And I guess also that by the time the tour was done and I guess they would have released the video now that it wasn't cutting into the tour, the thing was pretty much dead. You know, like, yeah, I guess yeah. it's all they, of it at once. Where's the demand right. to even have the the remnant of the record of this? Right. Like the other thing is turtles. I, I do think turtles learned a lot of lessons from He-Man, which like blew up so quickly and then burned out relatively fast. Uh, another one is like turtles has been so consistent with reinventing itself. And even if every reinvention doesn't work, they sort of understand, like, if your thing's been around for five years, I heard some, watched some fucking YouTube video where some toy executive was explaining this, but, like, when when kids realize, like, I'm five years old and this thing's been around for five years and the older kids are into it, I don't own this anymore. Like, this is some old cartoon that's predated me. You need, like, a new version every, like, six years so that new kids can come in on the ground floor. Right. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, in my kid brain, it was like, oh, man, Turtles was gone for a while. But Turtles, they did Next Mutation with Venus de Milo, like, right Right. after the first original cartoon. Like, like, the, the original cartoon is, like, eight seasons, nine seasons. I mean, it was, like, a healthy run. But then Next Mutation is, like... actually, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, but Next Mutation is only like a a year or two later, and then there was that reboot in 2003, mm-hmm. which it's like that's the longest they were ever dark, it felt like, and that was five years? 
Right. Well, and like, say, Power Rangers never stopped. I mean, that's a totally different where it's like they'll make a season in Japan, fly the costumes to not America. I think it's New Zealand. And then they will make a totally different story, a totally different set of rules of like, all right, we have these costumes and we have footage where the Zords are trains and then they become fighting robots. How do we do this? It's Uh, because of the weird way in which that show is made. But I do think it's sort of provided that model that everyone else has copied now where you just need like even these Netflix cartoon shows. I noticed that like season two will have an entirely different title than the first season. Mm -hmm. You know, they never position something as like it's season two of this show. It's this show colon new subtitle, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Of what's the most modern version? I guess it's hard because you need to have some property that's been around for like 20 years. But like, because I know like modern cartoons and stuff, you know, they're still trying to screw people over. And it's like they like to end something at season three before they can renegotiate right. contracts. Um, unless it's very, very popular. And then they will bring it back and then milk it forever. It's like a weird... I, I f- yeah, yes. go ahead. I, no, I feel like there's also this thing with, like, I, I I think it happens a lot with superhero cartoons where, like, oh, they'll do a Spider-Man cartoon and, like, everyone will flock to it and be like, this is the best one. They've finally mm-hmm. gotten it right. And then they cancel it after three seasons and immediately announce a new show, which is on the air nine months later. And right. they're like, why did you cancel that? Everyone loved that. It was working. And they were like, I had time for a new Spider-Man. Like, it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> what can you say every three years new spider-man like these things just they they don't let them linger and i think the same thing happened with ninja turtles where there was like the nickelodeon reboot that was going over very well then they canceled it somewhat abruptly and then did rise of the mean uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles which was very well liked but didn't connect and then that just ended like kind of in failure like they just canceled it for low ratings and everyone was kind of left saying like why wouldn't you have kept the earlier show on the air it wasn't losing steam, but right. it feels like now these companies don't want to let things get to the point of He-Man. Like well, you have to reboot it before the audience starts dipping. Well, the, yeah, with Turtle and with Tur- I'm sure with all this stuff, and I maybe I'm not sure, but I'm I think this is what I I think this is what I know <laughs> is that it's like they're like you know what the ratings aren't going to be if we just do a new version the ratings are going to be pretty similar. So as long as they're pretty similar, we don't have to renegotiate contracts for all the people that are making this who are going to want more money because they're doing a good job. So we tell them to fuck off. We get a bunch of new people for less money. And by and large, the ratings are going to probably hover around the same place. And if they're not, eh, cancel it and try another one. I think merch is a big part of it, too, where it's like we have sold 18 versions of Donatello in this design style. And we've done the entire supporting cast now. Like, Mm -hmm. the kids have them all. We need to reboot it and redesign everybody so there's a reason to rebuy all the characters. There's, yes. Three seasons is like a very... There's an economic reason now why companies are stopping things there right and if you get to five it's like a blockbuster and they're like we let you stay longer than we should have now please gracefully leave you're lucky you're lucky that we let you do this yeah and it seemed like he-man had some of the like behind the scenes like the writers like the big name like that i i remembered this about he-man i double checked it and I never know how to pronounce his name because I always just read it. J. Michael Straczynski? Is I, that I think that's right. right. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 
he, he was credited as the main writer on it, uh, or at least one of the best writers on it. Yeah. Yes. And was then it, was he Dini, left. Was Paul Dini on it too? Correct. Yeah. 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 And so Straczynski left eventually, and he was writing on like a million cartoons and stuff. Eventually creates Babylon Five. Does a very well received like five years on the Amazing Spider-Man comics. Somewhere down the line, writes the script for the Changeling. Is that what it's called? The Clint Eastwood, yes. Angelina yes. Jolie movie. Yes. So there, there people certainly like you know came out of the He-Man world. People went on to other careers. Well, and I think that's you know why there is affinity for the cartoon show because there are a lot of things that are easily mockable in it, and it was produced very uh, on a very uh, a thrifty uh, sort of way. And there were famously all these regulations about what they couldn't couldn't do with the show at the time, because uh, it was like when the government was fighting against the idea of cartoon shows just being commercials for toys, which they absolutely were, and also uh, like whether uh, cartoons were a perverse influence on children. So like He-Man's an action show where the characters can never really fight. He-Man has a sword that he never once uses in a single yes. episode. He's <laughs> never really. allowed to swing it at anybody. He's never allowed to stab anybody. I think he can only use it for deflection. Like, he can mm -hmm. only use it to block. Uh, and then shows. he uses it for his transformation. But, like, the fighting on He-Man is almost always one guy gets behind another guy and gets him in a bear hug. <laughs> <laughs> Until the other guy, like, you know, pleads uncle. This is a, this is another problem. I think the turtles. I mean, I think uh, government regulations solve, but the turtles solve the problem with robots. Because like, yes. how are you going to have yes. Leonardo use his sword unless yes. these are not humans or are living living beings? Right. They had they have some robots like horde troopers and Skeletor has robots, but they, I I think they were always so invested in trying to sell the new characters. You know. Yeah. That, like, they didn't have as sticky uh, a sort of, like, uh, army uh, as as the foot soldiers. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, these people come to it, these comic writers and these animation writers cutting their teeth, who, like, really have grand ambition, the type of genre storytelling they'd like to do, and they start imbuing it with a weird amount of thought and consideration, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like this shoe, the show produced on a shoestring to sell toys with a mythology that doesn't make any sense. And guys like J. Michael Straczynski come in there and go like, but can we like actually turn this into something? Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I always like. Anytime I'm complaining about any any modern day movie, I, I haven't seen Space Jam 2. Maybe I'm going to love it. I, lo I would love yeah. I would love to Odds love it. Are, I would love yeah. to be the contrarian. It's a very um, pure, good movie made for the right reasons. And but you get also, to see some of your friends. You know, oh. you get to see your friends at least. Jabberjaw. Yeah. But Way in the background. <laughs> Magilla Gorilla. I am, ex I am ex excited to see Magilla Gorilla. Um <laughs> But anytime, like, any of this stuff that we would see as kids, and I know you're, like, even just professionals going in and seeing character designs, you go, I could make something cool out of this. These characters right. look really awesome. But it's especially as, like, kids, it's like, it doesn't even matter that some of this stuff sucks. Like, you yes. watch old car turtle cartoons. I don't give a shit. Like, it's bad. The show is yeah. bad. I yes. own all these toys because visually, this was making me think this show was fantastic, and it was not. Um, but that's what anytime I'm complaining about like any modern version of a thing I liked as a kid, I'm like, there's like eight year olds watching this and this is maybe the greatest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> sure. Like they're not worried about a certain character not being like treated the way I think they should be treated. They don't give a shit about that. Um, but I do think it's funny and interesting how like humans view like 
all of this stuff that's made cynically. And I guess this yes. is what our whole show is about stuff that's a product and made cynically. But like, we all feel it's real magical. And some of it, you can look back on it and it's not. It's not magical at all, other than just your child brain memory of it and, and, and wanting I to think- see it. I think part of being a healthy appreciator of these things is learning to accept, like, the goofiness of it when it exists, the crumminess of it, the cravenness of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, all these things are part of it. And sometimes the parts come together and create some greater whole, you know, that does transcend, like, its intentions or has some meaning for you or whatever it is. Like, this is, I, I, I you know, I mean this genuinely. This is not just me trying to sell a show. But, like, I, I work so hard to try to get Cass's work going in this show, right? I do these audition tapes in my closet where I'm playing every single character to show them, like, how invested I am because I didn't have anyone to read with me. Uh, <laughs> and then I get the part and I realize I haven't read the scripts and I have no idea if this thing is good or not, right? Sure. And, like, I'm, I'm a fan and there's that worry where you're just like, am I going to, like, read this and think this is dog shit? And now I'm Orko <laughs> on the dog shit show and I have to just kind of, like, stay quiet for a while. And the thing that I I genuinely love about the scripts that was such a relief for me was sort of I've been told that the idea was like, this is the show for people who grew up with the cartoon. The idea Mm -hmm. is like the way it felt when you were watching it as a little kid and everything felt important to you. Can you make a show at that level where the stakes are real? The budget is higher. The scripts, you know, have more time to be polished. You're able to actually show fight scenes, but you're able to sort of like put the emotional depth into the things that you projected as a child, but Mm -hmm. maybe weren't fully formed. And that was what they were saying. And my fear was, is this going to be like overly self-serious? The thing that I think all four of us dislike where it's like trying to make fans of a thing feel less guilty for liking a thing, right? Yes. By trying it's to real, say, like, There's real stakes insecure, in real right. You can feel how insecure some things it's right. like. Uh, yeah, it like, no, this, like, is, this, is, this is deathly serious. The, the chest puffiness of it. And, like, the thing I love about this show is that I think it is so in touch with everything that is incredibly goofy about the original cartoon. Not just in terms of where it puts the humor in, but like which elements it embraces. It's not like shunting anything that was too silly, you know, in a way that I think a lot of these modern things go like, well, you have to drop that character. That character wouldn't work. You can't do this. You know, that plot line's a problem. They sort of like, without spoiling anything, and I, you know, I guess... Some people might have watched it by this point, but they like they found a thing in the original show that is fucked up if you think about it. That like would be like a cracked article, right? Where you're like, mm-hmm. huh, there's this like weird plot line on this kid's show where if you actually think about it, that's kind of fucked up that the characters did this. And they just kind of invested in that being a real thing. And like wrote this 10 episode season that is about like the emotional and and larger fallout of that situation but you know are trying to do the show that you imagined when you were a kid but something i think kids would also enjoy watching and something that is also like completely unembarrassed about how silly this thing is and where it came from is trying to keep those two things in conversation at the same time which is Mm. which is what i find very exciting about it and once again if i thought it was dog shit i would just say 
nothing. Uh, this is my genuine opinion. Yeah, you don't have to promote anything. No. Right. Yeah, people <laughs> might disagree with me, and it gets into this thing uh, we're talking about here where fans get very territorial of, like, that's not my version. That's not what I liked about it. I only liked this era and these characters and whatever. You're never going to make a thing that everyone likes. And also, we live in an era now where everything gets rebooted every five years, as we're saying. So it's mm. like... There are already people who are upset about what they think this show is going to be. I think some of them will watch it and be pleasantly surprised. Some of them will watch it and they'll hate it. But guess what? Like, Netflix has another He-Man show coming out this year for kids. And they're trying to make a live-action movie. And they'll do a thousand more things. Like, none of this stuff is sacred anymore. I do think at a certain point being... an adult nerd is learning to accept that like for so long we had this very clenched territorial position of like they're only going to get to make one Batman movie and if they fuck it up then Batman will never get to be a movie again you know there's that pressure and it's like fuck Burton did it it worked it worked but now it's Schumacher and then that bombed fuck we're never going to get Batman again Schumacher ruined Batman forever and now yes. it's like, well, he did. He ruined Batman and he Robin. Ran, well, and then it was forever. He perfect. He was. He made a perfect movie with Batman Forever, and right. then he made Batman and Robin, which I still but like. It, <laughs> at this point, you're just like, like I used to be so anti Snyder, just on a level of just like this is I, not my vibe. Yes, I, I agree. And then I switched. Out. I completely switched. Because I'm just like, you know what? Let this guy make his thing. It's yes. not for me. I appreciate what he's doing. In the same way, I read fucking comic books, and if I don't like one Batman arc, I'm like, well, okay, and then a new writer will come on and negate yeah. all of it and do their own thing. Whatever. Oh, sure. Who cares? Yes, I you 100%. Know? I was feeling the same way. I was like, oh, this is just going to be the all of the DC. It's all going to feel like this? Oh, man, come on. Like, I don't want it to be so bleak or whatever. And I'm right. like, there's going to be another one next year who gives a shit. And then I watch them again now in that context, and I'm like... There's a lot to enjoy uh, uh, with yeah. this nonsense, with this bleak nonsense. And I think if yeah. you're going to be a healthy fan of anything, you have to learn to love your songsters, you know? Like, the songsters aren't the things you hide. You you have to accept that's part of the weird history of the thing. It's what but, I like about Masters of the Universe is that it was such an accident that these things get, like, pieced together in reverse, you know? That, like, mm-hmm. you cannot claim the sanctity of the thing. Well, because, I think you gotta do, like, two things. You gotta play it yeah. straight, you know, you gotta, like, you know, be a little respectful to what's come before yes. and, like, play in the world, but then also you have to have fun with it. And, like, right. part of my engaging with stuff and having fun with stuff is, like, teasing the goofiness. Like, I of feel course. like... On, on this show, like, people sometimes have been like, oh, well, they hate that. I was like, I don't hate that. I love that. I would rather be on this attraction than running errands my day-to-day life. But it's a <laughs> little goofy. Like, there's some corny shit in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the fun sometimes, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think especially the Marvel stuff, they're starting to branch out a lot more in the movies and TV shows and add more characters and... Um, uh, but but I think some of the shortcomings, like like rougher, it's like, all right, you've set up too many rules. Like you're not playing right. it straight. Yes. You're not yes. honoring. You're you're you've set up too many restrictions for yourself, and you don't seem like you're having fun. You seem like you're checking yes. off boxes. Yeah, and and like you have to have. 
if not embrace the goofy elements, you have to at least sort of accept them as being like part of the whole of this thing, right? At the very least, the evolution of this thing, the different eras of these things, whatever these odd elements are, be they a theme park ride or, you know, a, a cartoon show or a toy line or whatever it is. Uh, rather than starting a change.org petition to ask that it be officially taken out of continuity. <laughs> because it's like, yeah. sometimes the best shit comes out of people course correcting after something that's unpopular. The answer isn't, that no longer counts, it's unofficial, never acknowledge it ever again. It's like, what what can we learn from what didn't work here? And when you step back, you can, like, appreciate Adam West and Michael Keaton equally for doing different things. And, like, you know, that's that's part of the, the beauty of the stupid shit we care about a lot. Yes, it's just uh, seeing anyone who's, like, like, religious and dogmatic is really, isn't, as I said, on those Facebook groups I'm on. It's, uh, you'd be surprised how many people get very upset. I'm not about surprised. This, I'm in. These I mean, you wouldn't be surprised. Groups. Yeah. <laughs> are you in the? Ma- are you? I, I don't. Maybe I'm outing you. I shouldn't even say which. I do. You tell me off air which. I, I lurk around. Groups. I lurk around uh, uh, some things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I lurk around. I mean, I and I have forever. It, it, you know, I I just feel like uh, I don't want to harp on this, but it's weird because there was no new He-Man stuff for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that time, fandom has curdled. And I feel like these (laughs) message boards and these websites and these groups and whatever that I used to lurk. I was never a big poster, but I would read these things and I would be like abreast of what fans thought were responding to things. There'd be disagreements about things. People dislike stuff. They'd get up in arms about toys and whatever. You know, it's like it's not like it was entirely civil and serene, but there there is this weird uh aggro defensive paranoia about this new show about whatever the kid show is going to be where there's this it's an extension of the kathy kennedy shit where like people want to buy into this idea that like whatever is being rebooted is being rebooted by like ocp and dick jones is behind the boardroom and he's like i want people to die i don't care and 209 has to succeed it doesn't matter you know well, like it th- like there's a conspiratorial attack and yes. resentment of fans there's yeah. like a yeah there's like a, what a, whoever's posting is like he really thinks like Kathleen Kennedy is like, I want to punish Ben from Missouri. I, I want ben. him. I want him to feel pain. I hate Ben. I hate that Ben likes Luke. And so I'm going to cuck Luke. So Ben feels bad. Like, and yeah. they truly, we're not exaggerating. You see people post these videos and they're creating like narratives about like, this is the fight going on within Lucasfilm. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. I know Kathleen exactly the Kennedy, videos. I mean, these people are claiming Kathleen Kennedy did not want Luke Skywalker to be in The Mandalorian. Spoiler for a season two finale that came out fucking nine months ago. And <laughs> it was that, written like, about everywhere, yes. That John Favreau like smuggled him onto set and Kathy Kennedy <laughs> didn't know about it and was outraged and wanted smuggled to cut out. Smuggled him into the previs department. Well, smuggled him into the after effects. What the effects. fuck are you talking about? He was the guy you're talking digitally about. rendered. What are you talking about? <laughs> the guy she you're talking about makes videos every week about yes. this. Yes. And like that uh, John, John, he he calls him John Favreau, first of all, which always funny yes. to me. And yes. uh, he's like, it's just like, it's, it's like he's like physically battling Kathleen Kennedy. Like, uh, it's and- Kathleen Kennedy and Brie Larson. And now there's a different channel that once a week has been doing anti 
Motu revelation stuff. Oh, interesting. And, like, <laughs> oh, no. All right, it's look, a, Griffin, but, you get you got to pick. You either get the super fans who love this yeah. stuff, or you get the weird moralistic teens who are doing, like, Tipper Gore shit, and it's like, <laughs> uh, I don't know, I think He-Man revelation is, su- like, I don't hmm. That's kind of it, weird. It's look. It's a. It's a. It's a tough choice. <laughs> and ultimately, I try not. I try to focus on the people who seem to be enjoying things in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just uh, uh, frustrating to see people uh, doing that sort of like uh, rumor mongering and projecting of what they think is going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and knowing for a fact it's false. Like, with Kathleen Kennedy, I know it's false because I am a reasonable human being who understands how the world works. And someone does not take over Lucasfilm and go, my job is to destroy this. I want this to fail so that boys feel bad. Um, but like, I don't with, want to keep having money. I, my right. mission is pain now. I mean, I saw a website that claimed that Disney literally has decided not to care about money and to instead let all these properties fail to advance the woke agenda. And it's like, if <laughs> that's, you think that's what they said at the last meeting we were all at, at the last media meeting, we were all there. Uh, if, you know. if you just typed out the sentence, Disney doesn't even care about money anymore, you should take a really long look in the mirror. The woke. The, oh, by the way, I want everyone to be reminded that the woke agenda means on a piece of paper, it says Loki is bisexual. Yes. That's it's what. not reflected in the scene. <laughs> Theories. It's no, no, no not these, yet. That's, that's the th- like people are projecting into the fact like Tila has a different haircut and that Orko has eyes that they think look more feminine on this version of the show. And then okay. your ass is grass. My ass yeah, is you. grass. And they're producing like 40 minute videos of their conjecture of what they think is being like planned out in a boardroom to punish people who grew up with this stuff. Uh, and it's just <laughs> wild. So the character who was on this live tour in skating around in a dress, yes. they are worried about some, some femininity entering. Yeah, and this is like a character that half of them found annoying in the first place. And I, I, I say this as someone who loved him dearly and did not find him annoying. Uh, Orko, the winner of the Attorney in Race, right? The best roller mm-hmm. skater. I mean, you got to feel good about that. You must have been on pins and needles wondering who that was going to go I mean, he's got got some hits in this show. He also has his number where he's trying to make magic work, saying Hocus Shocus. (laughs) And it keeps on failing until he does successfully conjure up a dancer. His magic is conjuring one dancer added to all the dancers that are already on stage. And then in the Attorney and Circus, he comes out in a different outfit, like a different robe. And is like the co-ringleader. The Eternian Circus stuff like sucks, by the way. We didn't talk about it, but it's just they parade <laughs> out I never found a bunch it. What of is dumb it? animals. Like it's all these like uh, the actors who were playing the actual heroes and villains you like in the first act of the show are now in like two part, four people, eight legged, like this is an Eternian giraffe. That's and like very just, Taruk, the Avatar, like Cirque du Soleil, I feel like a little it's more very like Taruk. It also feels a little uh, like the weird circus number in the Star Wars holiday special. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, that's where it's just like kind of a long parade of like here's a new species on Eternia. Our elephants have four trunks or whatever, and it's just Songster and Orko like spinning around, singing the same song, showing off these crappy costumes. Uh, And then the show finally kind of rebounds in the last 15 minutes, and Skeletor comes out and they actually like do the fight. Right. Then there's like the big fucking fight that everyone's been waiting for. Nobody like, was that on YouTube. I never found the fight. It's also conf- I, I only saw a lot of skating. The fight. Yeah, the fight's hard to find. Once again, it's label. It's a video that I think is labeled VTS 013. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I don't. I guess I don't feel bad about not finding it then. Yeah, uh, and it's really, really low quality, and it statics out pretty early. Um, but, uh, yeah, the first half of the show is definitely better. The second half is way too much uh, Eternian Circus. But hey, what Orko the hell gets- is this? I'm looking at this, this synopsis. Uh, He-Man, uh, I just saw the sentence, He-Man fights all three Skeletors. He beats the fake ones and eventually finds the real one. Yeah, so the, we got multiple Skeletors, decoy, Skeletors around. It's like mm. a magical decoy thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, can Does I, that happen uh, on your show? Fake Skeletors? Yeah, they're fake Skeletors. No spoilers, spoilers, but... <laughs> uh, there aren't. They're decoy versions of other characters. Oh. Oh. All right. Can I ask who's bi on the show? Well... I want to be mad. I want to get mad about that. All, Mike, all of them are. if you ask Clownfish TV on YouTube, everyone is bi. Okay, all right. And it's right. being shoved down our throats. Got it. Um... Uh, seriously, uh, maybe this is a question off the air. Uh, internally, sure. are you trying to push for a new tour, a new live show oh, that you mm-hmm. could be a part of? I would love <laughs> nothing more. I'd yeah. love nothing more. Because um, I've been I, trying to n- nudge my way into Turtles for years, and I would be the most annoying person if I had even like a like a one line on an episode. I'd be like, I would try to get everyone's email and oh. be like, you know what we should do? I, I've really, like, the amount of energy I've had to spend keeping my cool about this, Mike, like, when I'm mm-hmm. in the professional settings and sure. doing the job. Um, I mean, A, because, like, I, I I become very quickly overcome with then the terror of what if I fuck this up, right? Sure. So, like, a lot of that, like, nerdy, like, can I ram myself into this and pitch a thousand ideas shit goes out the window because I'm just, like... Oh, what if I suck at this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just need to be laser focused of at least doing the things they're asking me to do. Right. Um, but I also would uh, voice Orko in anything. Like, I would do anything. You would do like a uh, 90 city tour of arenas playing absolutely. Orko on stage. Absolutely. Okay. Like, in I, the I w- suit with your face yeah. not visible. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be seen. It would just be your voice. Right. Like they the the other the the sort of kids modern reboot show for Netflix that's coming out later. I I looked into like playing Orko on that and they're like, "No, it's like a different show, it's a different continuity." But I was like, "But what if I just played Orko on everything? What if I just sure. lay claim to this?" Mhm. So you've soft um, you're soft you're soft um like touching the boundary. You're touching the boundaries lightly. I mean, that conclusively didn't work, but I have tested. I have tested. Yes. Got it. So maybe Uh, live tour is not something you could get done right now. I'd push for it, uh, certainly. I mean, I think it it depends on what the response is to this, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, five episodes coming out the day that this episode comes out, and five episodes coming out uh, another point this year. Uh, And I think it works as a self-contained thing. 
Like, I think if this is the only thing we ever get to make, I think this is a pretty good, like, it's sort of, in my mind's eye, the kind of thing I'd imagine a He-Man movie being. It, it feels like a, a very epic story that is tied to the history of this property, uh, told on a, a grand scale, incorporating as many characters and vehicles and things as you remember as possible. Um, but I think everyone would like to do more if if the interest is there like sure. it, it has not been designed to pointedly be a one-off it is not wandavision sure um if, if people want more i think everyone wants to do it um nice. and i i certainly would uh like to uh just absolutely um uh, run orco into the ground <laughs> hey great Wow, Here's... looks like, hey, Mayor of Easttown has a new partner this season. Why, it's <laughs> Detective Orko. <laughs> <laughs> and he's bi. He's so bi. Uh, One more question yeah. is, is uh, on your show, is does Orko have visible duct tape? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> holding his hat onto his head no um, <laughs> it is a it is a funny thing I just like, pulled up or- a photo by the way that's uh, what you it is like it is so t- like oh, this part this is what they put in the program it's such a wild costume especially because i would argue the rest of the costumes are pretty high level executions especially for this type of show and the oracle yeah, one is about- really kind of haphazard um orco's also tough because like orco's tiny like, Orko's sort of, like, great gazoo size just floating around characters' heads. Uh, so when you need a human person to play it, the scale gets all thrown off. So, like, the commentary I was watching from the convention, they were saying that the woman who played Orko was 4'10". Like, they mm. found the shortest performer they possibly could. But even so, it makes Orko look weirdly gigantic. Because, Mm. like, Orko doesn't have any legs, so the robe has to extend past the actor's Mm. feet, which makes the torso look huge, you know? Right. And then the hands are bigger because they put bigger gloves to be in scale with the torso, and then the hat has to get so big. And then Orko's Where's the head in this? Is the head up? This is what I was about to say. Oh, the actor's head, I think, is in Above the the eyes, maybe? Maybe. I feel like... The arms we're seeing, like the shoulders are in the scarf, if that makes any sense. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is It is and, confusing and, where they're coming from. Right. And their, their face is either above the eyes or in the hat itself. It does not right. look like a very easy costume to operate. But this is the other thing. Orca, from a design perspective, the idea is he's a trollin, right? Which is like this magical troll type species in uh, the Motu lore. Um, but he his, his face is hidden all the time. They can't show their faces. So Orco, it's like supposed to be that that's the shadow created from under his hat and the scarf around the lower part of his face and so the eyes are the only things that you're able to see from within the shadow right but whenever you three-dimensionalize orko it gets very spatially odd because it looks like his head is just a black featureless orb with two eyes on it (laughs) it's not like a black tree trunk (laughs) right right it's the idea is that like you can't see his face uh, it's cloaked in mystery. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, well be, it makes you respect wearing it. <laughs> I'm going to be wearing oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll have a perfect understanding of how this works when you're hitting the road, when you're yes. giving shout outs to Calgary. 
leaving uh, the happy happy to do it when I'm begging them to let me do this. Yeah, <laughs> it might just be an Orco tour if they don't want to do the whole thing. It might just be like Orco comes alive. Yeah. yeah. Oh sure. River, yeah. River dance with Orco. Yeah. Or just one man show. Just every every talent you have, and every talent you think Orco would have, and you have it, to like develop that from scratch. It's like Mark Twain tonight. I just do my sort of like yeah yeah. The poster is Orco with like his tie undone, holding a yeah. cigarette and a drink, like a lamp looking down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're gonna do some songs, do some stories, <laughs> just telling tales from his childhood. Yeah. Fun stuff, weird stuff, you know. Like Garth Brooks, like Garth Brooks's Facebook, long gone Facebook presence. Uh, Start the conversation. What a, what a time. Um, let's see. I well, did we do it? Did we survive podcast ride? Uh, Legends of Attorney edition. I think so. Um, I mean, feel free to shout out anything else from the. I just have like spare quotes throughout the rest of it. Like, oh no, where's Rock on? <laughs> um, uh, if, I don't know what they're connected yeah. to. I mean, there's so many. This great little or or as we call him, Rocky. <laughs> I think I just love, that's oh good. I, the thing I love. No, I, thank you for reminding me of this. Rockon is also a late character. He's comes from the the Stone Warriors, and they're a race of sort of semi cybernetic characters, robotic characters who have the ability to camouflage as rocks. So that people don't <laughs> attack them and they can sneak up by just laying stagnant on a battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Rock On and Stone Dar and Granita. Uh, they only put Rock On in this. Um, <laughs> but his whole thing is that he's like a Transformer, right? It was Mattel trying to get in on the Transformers market. And so they, they announce him in the show and I was like, how are they going to fucking pull this off as a costume? Because it has to look like rock on in like humanoid form and the rock form and in the cartoon they do all sorts of like they take all sorts of license with design to make that transition happen and with the toy it's like engineering that a human body can't do and with this they're just like rock on rock on where's rock on has anyone seen rock on then a video screen shows a meteor then there's a crash sound, and then Rock On stands up, and they're like, oh, there he is. <laughs> so they just never show him as a Rock On stage and explain why that was him, and now he's just going to be standing up the rest of the time. Oh, mm-hmm. that's why, oh no, where's Rock Rock On? Yes. Huh. yes. That takes huh. care of that problem. Um, I love this lazy bing crosby-esque um take on he-man i could listen to this guy's voice all day i really so wish good. i'd seen yeah. this th- I, if i'd seen this show i think i would have thought about it my whole life it is so grand uh, um and uh uh i, I guess that's i hey uh, you griffin newman you survived podcast the ride oh. uh once again um for time i believe time number five if we're, i think this is the i think you're in the yeah. five timers five timers there's there's the wow this is huge uh Mm -hmm, yes mm -hmm. it's the 3d movie trilogy of 2019 yeah um and the and the second gate jimmy fallon record-breaking jimmy fallon uh episode yes (laughs) yes yeah yeah yeah. Uh, um and unless you count smaller can unless you count your performance as the oh uh, sure whichever kid no i think it's host i think i think uh, or not hosting it's hosting for guests yeah yeah yeah. full guest appearances but look some some people will decree that this does not count as a proper five because second gate is its own continuity to which i'll say that's Mm. why we have redacted controversial ride 
and Muppet Haunted Mansion on the books for 2021. Yeah, which I think would get you up to... I, I was trying to crunch the numbers. I think yeah. Eva Anderson has the title for most appearances. If you count, unless Second Gate counts as his own thing. She's almost entirely Second Gate. But I, it, I think it's one continuity. That fucking YouTuber, I know he goes on about it every week. Listen, you don't know anything about Kathy Kennedy and you don't know anything about the Second Gate. <laughs> Lay off he, hates, he hates the Second Gate. No! <laughs> the Second Gate Here's is... Here's what's a, happening behind the doors of this behind the gates of the second gate the second gate is too woke quite frankly <laughs> it, it is just bizarre that fan culture has gone from like oh like fan fiction is this robust thing where people want to write their own stories with the characters to now people want to write their own fan fiction about what's happening at a corporate level <laughs> yeah he the popped the Keurig pod into the machine Grumbling as he reached for his mug. The term just, like forced. They discussed like, their dinner plans for that forced evening. Diversity, forced diversity. And you're like, did you ever see the movie Predator? <laughs> like the movie is diverse. Like it's in like I you know you know you you can cast you cast people. Humans cast people that are Yeah, you know. I mean also I, I try to repeat this whenever I can in any fucking medium because I don't feel like this gets circulated enough. Recently went viral again a, a clip of uh, Carl Sagan on Johnny Carson complaining about the fact that everyone's white in Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, on a scientific level, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, on a scientific level, it doesn't make sense that the people in power look like humans, even though they're not, and they're all white, and they're all like this. Like, they would have crazy alien colors, or at the very least, would resemble other races on our planet, Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. and people were like Carl Sagan saying the shit that everyone was afraid to say. What doesn't get acknowledged a lot is that he says that that was a big fucking interview because it was the Tonight Show and everyone watched it. People in the media started talking about the lack of diversity in Star Wars. And Lando was specifically written and created to address that. Like the wow. exact wow. thing that people get up in arms saying that Disney is doing, which is like shoving diversity down their throats and creating characters just to fulfill a quota. Lando, who you all fucking love, was George Lucas taking the criticism to heart and going like, yeah, I should hire a very charismatic actor and put him in this franchise and set him up as an old friend of these pre-existing characters so that he's earned his place in this universe. Isn't it interesting that you liked it when you were a kid and when you watch it now, you go, what's the agenda here? Why are they right. forcing this I mean, if you watch it? Alien or Predator, the original Alien, like, I don't... All these things. Yeah, all, all these of things. Them. And they always go like, well, I like Ripley because she's actually a good character. Not these characters today where they're just a woman for the sake of making me angry. Right. Like, what's the... What do you think the difference is? <laughs> yeah. And science fiction, like, the history of modern science fiction is authors slipping in future-looking ideas, ideas yeah. of, like, progressive societies, of diversity, of different ways of thinking... And, like, people either, you know, they absorb it and inadvertently get the lesson or, like, yeah, maybe it goes over their heads and they just see it on a surface level. But it's in there. Like, it's in all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I would like to plug Masters of the Universe Revelation, the wokest He-Man to date. <laughs> so Ooh, much is going to get shoved that. down your throat. Open your throats, everyone, because so Open much, so many agendas, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nothing a, but agendas. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of episode five, which is just uh, Clamp Champ explaining uh, critical race theory <laughs> for 30 minutes. <laughs> Um, well, I'm glad no. someone is. 
Yeah, someone has to. Uh, yeah. No, I think it's a good show, and I think most of the people who are up in arms about it will actually uh, like it if they watch it and don't listen to YouTube. I think I think the people who are paying it, I think they like probably the megaphones uh, loom larger currently because it hasn't come Absolutely. out, and when it comes out, it'll be mostly people who uh, like and enjoy it and enjoy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not Orca. losing sleep over this, but it is just one of those frustrating things to watch where you're like, oh, the me- the loudest megaphones are the people who are creating hour-long videos based on conjecture mm-hmm. versus the people who will like this show who cannot weigh in because they haven't seen it yet and aren't writing things about what they think is going to happen like a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> well, we get all that pre-conjecture about what blue shirt Jason's going to wear next. And I just th- like, let him it's, pick the shirt yes, and then you'll see I it. I got a couple Absolutely. new ones. <laughs> That's part of the process. Uh, I also I just want to plug, as I always do, uh, Blank Check, my podcast with David Sims, uh, past guest of this show as well. Um, uh, yeah. uh, what's Kensington? Chessington? Chessington. Chessington. World, Chessington World of Adventures. Adventures. World of the Adventures. most frightening uh, 80s sci-fi rides you've ever seen. That was really something. He really brought us something we were completely unaware of. But to acknowledge um, the uh, a, a now non-joking online podcast controversy there is a there is a section of shared blank check ptr listeners who have continued to be outraged at the fact that the three of you have not appeared on blank check yet oh i want to i want to stay oh it's getting acknowledged oh my god not a conspiracy (laughs) uh there are there are culprits most of which are based around disorganization uh the fact (laughs) that until the pandemic we never let zoom records happen yeah, um, we book things far in advance. There's a lot of weird uh, strategizing that goes into how we plan out our mini series. Uh, a regret was that uh, Scott, you obviously would have been a great guest for Back to the Future Part Two. Oh, Nicole gee, oh, Byer had you. called that very early. And oh, she's well, you like don't say no guest. to Nicole Byer. <laughs> exactly. You never will. Oh my well, god. Right, right. But but if I can just also say, just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, a I want to as a commitment. Okay. Whoa, whoa. Our our schedule, we we have booked very far in advance. Uh, we always do. It's because we go chronologically through filmographies. David has a baby now. We to plan things out oh yeah congrats david the rest of this year is full i'm committing to all Mm -hmm. three good boys appearing on blank check main feed 2022 oh my god that's so exciting that's something to look forward to at least for us i don't know about the audience but i'm excited i want (laughs) to say because this is the other factor that was at play and this is not a good excuse as a friend i feel like this is not a good excuse i'm not talking as a a podcast creative talk as a friend i don't think this is a good excuse in my mind I had this idea that it would be cute to save you guys for Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow. Mm. Oh, interesting. That was my thing where I was huh. just sort of like maximum impact. Would it be best? And I never told this to you guys. But I was like, would it be best if we saved it? And we had all three of you on one or we did the trilogy and each of you did one because mm. Gore Verbinski felt like he was a guy we were going to do at some point. Then we put him on our March Madness bracket this year and chaos broke out. And I don't know if Gore Verbinski is happening anytime in oh, the foreseeable future. Oh, maybe ever. Oh, interesting. Okay, so okay. a lot of weird shit got stirred up in the Gore Verbinski thing. And at least for the time being, we're putting that on the sidelines. So that's why I'm saying. Look, also, not... I've never seen any of these films, so I probably wouldn't be a yeah. good I, guess. I, I, wow, I really? Like, <laughs> no, not one of them. Other like theme park movie are we going to cover it's not like you guys can only come on to talk about theme park movies but i thought that would be a nice kind of poetic crossover Mm. and that was the one obvious thing to do and there are three Mm. of those movies and what have you so i kept that in my mind 
That's now off the table. We booked the rest of the year. 2022, we're going to figure something out. Wow. Right? wow. I don't know if it's oh separate episodes. Honor. I don't know if it's three of you on one episode. We don't know exactly what we're doing for 2022 yet, but I just want to state that cleanly. Well, Jeez. if you well, do you. Carol Reed, the long dead Carol Reed, uh, the third man has a big Ferris wheel scene, a vitally, <laughs> a vitally important Ferris wheel scene. <laughs> I like that you jumped to the third man as the next most obvious theme park movie. <laughs> well, that's my favorite Obviously. movie, so I was being selfish. Oh, sure, too. sure, so. sure. Well, you already mm. look. You already did Joe Dirt, so I'm I'm yeah, uh, up what? shit creek now. <laughs> that that would have been Scott's choice. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. If there's an Adam Carolla movie about wokeness, I'll do that one. The Ringer, <laughs> right? Oh, there's a Ringer. Is Isn't that what it's it called? The Ringer about a, it, didn't he do one? Yeah, but there's also a stand-up one. There's one called yeah, like yeah. Road think, Comic or University. Yeah, there's, there's like newer, like more. I feel like he made a movie. Maybe his first movie wasn't so like focused on. Corolla's uh, a great blank check director. I think if you ever do Bill Maher, um, obviously <laughs> yeah. we'd like to throw our heads in the ring. Yeah, Dennis Prager. You know, all <laughs> sure. of the oh, filmmaking. Oh yeah, Prager. Hits. Dennis Prager is yeah. one of my favorite filmmakers. <laughs> oh God, don't clip. Oh no, don't let anyone clip that. Denise D'Souza. Uh, oh, fuck, you beat me to death. <laughs> I will say I because last year, not last. Uh, two years ago for March Madness, our bracket we do where we let people vote on which director we're going to cover. We had this idea to do a theme bracket where one side was all uh, best director Oscar winners and one side was all uh, worst director Razzie winners. Mm-hmm. And David and I had a very long, drawn out, like over weeks or months fight about whether or not to include Dinesh D'Souza <laughs> in the bracket. And I wanted to include him. Oh. Well, I don't know if that was the right choice, but at the time I was arguing to include him. He wow. did, in fact, win a, a Razzie for directing uh, Hillary's America. I don't remember if it was that or if it was uh, uh, 2016. Uh, what is it? 2016 is Hillary's America. And then the other one is called like America. Imagine a world without her. Well, we when, <laughs> when the three of us and Paul Shear. And I forget who else was there. Ben Rogers, maybe Gabriel. Like when we saw Mission Impossible Fallout in the downtown LA with the seats that rattle and move, mm. we were like making fun of in the lobby. There was a poster for Dinesh D'Souza. And then as we were going to our theater, there was like a big like step and repeat background and like a photo. And we're like, are we walking by a Dinesh D'Souza premiere? There's no one here. <laughs> I, I went to see two of them in theaters. I bought tickets for other movies so I didn't have to support him. But I was very fascinated by him uh, in a pre-Trump era where it felt like the damage he could cause was somewhat minimal. But just to clarify, I combined three separate titles. There's 2016 Obama's America. Mm. Then there's America, Imagine the World Without Her, and Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party, which is a movie in which he presents his grand thesis that actually the Democrats are Nazis. Oh, mm. my God. Mm. <laughs> well, that was discussed at the meeting where we talked about um, Disney not being interested in money, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all right. Uh, well, so we'll, get, we'll all get to that yeah. one. Different, if there's three of them, then the three good boys. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's the ultimate good boy. D'Souza. Dinesh on the book. We'll do the the America trilogy. <laughs> his his remaining two films. I feel like once Trump got elected, his juice was gone. Like I know he got a lot of retweets on Twitter, but those three movies made stupid amounts of money in theaters. And then the other two, Death of a Nation 
and Trump card, I feel like made no impact once he wasn't standing in opposition. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's well it's been a nice diffuser of a lot of uh of a lot of bullshit. Stuff that's like pretty bad on kind of a uh on a moral level and, and mainly on a graphic design level. Yes. We 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 see so much uh, less horrendous graphic design in documentaries now mm-hmm. that uh, I mean <laughs> the poster for Death of a Nation is a composite where the right half of the face is Abraham Lincoln and the left half is Donald Trump and I will tell you that is a very jarring transition. Yeah, uh, in hair, in skull shape, Lack in complexion. Hat. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so we're set for that. We're set for other. I still am like I am so curious about the. I, to me, it's not a controversial redacted ride, but unless you guys feel different, but I, I, no. is it less interesting if it's not a fight? I, Look, uh, it, it's. It's on the. I think I can say this on Mike. It's on the books. Yeah, I'm going to be coming to Los Angeles in a couple months for for in fact PowerCon, the He-Man convention. Oh, I wasn't sure if you wanted to bring it up. You're going to be at PowerCon. Where, by the way, the Anaheim Convention Center, where the Power Tour uh, played yes. when it was in town. You'll be yes. in the room where Songster himself <laughs> said his name. So I'm I'm gonna be in Anaheim for that, and I'm wow. uh, the the four of us are going to go to the parks together, which I've never gone to go to the parks with you guys. Oh my! And God. then we're gonna record an in person episode, theoretically about this redacted controversial ride. But all <laughs> I'm saying is, in the time between now and when that happens, when I see you guys next in person, and it's lovely. I'm going to fucking go back and find the clip where you guys talk greasy about this, right? Please. Because I swear it happened. I swear it happened because I I know my email was in response to that. Huh. Huh. Maybe it was a joke? It just felt like it wasn't super critical, but it was kind of like a little off the shoulder dismissive. Like, wow. I, I don't care about okay, that. Okay. We're never going to do an episode about that. Well, the, the, the biggest, the most questionable thing to me is that we would ever say, let's yeah, not we, do an episode. That's, what I, that's, to say. that's <laughs> why I emailed, because it was so wild that it was like, not even that's a second gate. It was like, can we just say we'll never do an episode about that ride? <gasps> that's a, could that be just the most deadpan joke delivery possible? Like, did yeah. I, I don't, the most I don't Bob Newhart style deadpan? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying... Stay tuned for that episode, Redacted Ride. I like oh. that we're treating this ride like it's Kevin Spacey, like it's like the subject we <laughs> yeah. can't name. It's going to be so confusing when it comes out and when it's just like a people ride. People are like, what? People like, yeah. I believe. Uh, there's I, no, there's really no way to know, I don't think, it, what was said exactly, except I think the only way might be to release Jason's notes. It's the only way <laughs> we're going to sort this out. Do it. Specifically, yes. release the notes. New tear. <laughs> I agree. Jason's full archive of notes needs to be released. If we could actually, you know what? Let's publish it in a book. Jason, Let's... to end this episode, can you just scroll to a different part of your notes and share screen with us? Yeah. yeah. A different page of notes that we haven't seen. You don't have to share it with the whole podcast, but can we see it and read it out loud? And you get to pick which page it is. Of, of what? The Masters of the Universe? Notes. Your notes yes. for this. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Any note, any part you want. Any note for this episode. Or Uh, else we're going to have to make a really, we're going to have to make a crazy documentary about you. Jason's America. (laughs) 2022, Jason's notes. (laughs) All right, let me, here's the bottom. So this is, this is, 
sometimes I will, when watching along, make just like impressions when watching. Mm -hmm. Uh. (laughs) Them introducing Songster was pretty stiff. Agreed. Yes. Next. His name is Songster. MK's Live could have used a Songster. (laughs) Yeah. Mortal Kombat Live. Absolutely. Oh my God. There wasn't a lot going on with Mortal Kombat Live. Of course, a Cosmic Troubadour for sure. Um, yeah. I will. I will say, Jason. Yes, yeah, some of these are direct quotes, but th- seeing them in this format, just as like kind of bullet pointed notes on a spreadsheet where you don't put them in quotes, it makes it feel like you, Jason, yourself, are typing in "Welcome to my universe, Masters <laughs> of the Universe." Oh, yeah. Well, I use quotes if I'm like you, like actually writing down. A, but if I'm watching live, I'm trying to keep up with the live video so uh yeah lots um, of presentations I mean, and singing and roller skating there's a sword fight and still 15 minutes left in the show <laughs> <laughs> so i think that was because i watched most of the act one one and i was surprised like wait wouldn't you this is either the end of half of the show or the end of all of the show wouldn't you end on a big sword fight and then no there was like another 15 minutes of just hanging out <laughs> Well, it's like, wouldn't you end this episode by saying you survive podcasts the ride and then Probably. like a couple more things, right. and then, then yeah. like, yeah. or do you do another yeah. half hour after right. that? Possibly, which is what yeah. we did. Yes. Um, but I don't mind it because now there's plans. There's plans for 2021. There's plans for 2022, and you can keep abreast of all of it on our socials at Podcast the Ride. There's merch in our T Public Store, and for three bonus episodes every month, check out Podcast the Ride. The second gate at Patreon.com/slash Podcast the Ride, where Griffin will not be. It's main feed you're saying i look maybe one of the two maybe muppets haunted mansion is is second gate i want to show love to the second gators i don't want to feel like i'm neglecting them you you know know? when we do three hours on the good the bad and the loki you know we're gonna probably (laughs) hide behind the second gate (laughs) on the simpsons the good the bad and the loki yeah that's right yeah everyone's demanding it I just noticed on Disney Plus, The Force Awakens from her nap. From, her from nap. a nap. Yeah. Where did yeah. that yes. come from? I've that never was, I think seen that came that. out on that. Star Wars Day. Okay. Mm. That came out recently, I want to uh. say. May of this year. It's the same fucking thing as The Good, The Bad, The Loki. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of those. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to so much. Griffin, thanks so much for being here. Thanks My to pleasure. you all for checking it out. And by the way, Podcast the Ride is our name. <laughs> Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced Dog. by Mike Carlson, Jason Sheridan, Scott Gardner, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, Dog. please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe Dog. to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dog. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.